right now. Yeah. So I just wanted to, <clears throat> you know, kind of we're talking about classic college football. Football starting the 2022 season starts today. And, you know, you think about when I was a kid, I'm in my 50s now. So when I was a kid, you only had like one game a week that you could watch. And it was on ABC. They better not have thrown any Pac-12 games <laughs> on there. <laughs> Never. No, they would throw a, a USC versus a, you know, UCLA game. That was a big deal back in the day. So I was a kid. I was raised. I was born in the late 60s. So I was a kid of the 70s and 80s, right? Um, the, there was <clears> – <throat> we're talking the classic teams, the Bear Bryants of Alabama. You're talking about – um, you know, USC, uh, two back-to-back national titles, 70 and 71. So you, o- you only got one game a week to watch. That was it. There was no ESPN, you know, until the, the 80s came along. So back in the 70s, nothing. So, you know, to, to go back in time, you would really cherish that one game <laughs> to get to watch if you were a, a football fan or anything like that. So it was always the big game, the big matchup for the week. And so the, that, that's kind of how, you know, how sometimes when you have a lot of things, you don't appreciate it. But when you get just a little bit of something that you love, you really cherish it. This and so it. that's kind of, as I go back and think about the you know, college football, the classic games, you really can, it really imprinted on your memory, you know, big games through the years. Yeah. I couldn't imagine just one game. For yeah. the week, you didn't know any different though. <laughs> That's what you had. <laughs> twenty twenty two. Kevin Griffin goes back to young boy Kevin. <laughs> hey boy, I, I just That's want right. you to know it's gonna get better than this. What? How? How can it get? <laughs> oh better yeah, than we this. Could, yeah, we couldn't imagine. SEC Network, ESPN, CBS. Man, there's nothing like a Saturday morning when you walk outside and just. <laughs> Yeah. Get a good fall morning. Get, get a whiff of the fall, yeah. cool weather, right. and you know that there's going to be an absolute banger coming on on CBS. Absolutely. Alabama, Ole Miss. Mm. Ole Miss taking down the tide in Oxford 2024. Happened back-to-back, by the yes. way. Oh, yeah. Hey, Ole Miss is a great storied program that lived in mediocrity for years. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, no, they've had some highlights for sure. And, and uh Tell you what, not many teams have beaten Nick Saban teams through the years. Have not. And on top of that, haven't beaten them back-to-back. Absolutely. Because Saban is like the dragon on the Hobbit. Once you wake him up, (laughs) everybody is in trouble. Not just you. Everybody's in trouble. So one thing I was going to ask you, when when we think classic means something to different to everybody, right? I mean, to somebody – in your 20s, classic. what is classic to you? How far do you go back? I'm having to deal with a lot of, when I say instant classics. Um, I started getting big into football when I was in third grade. So from that would have been, I would have been um, eight years old. So that would have been about 17 years ago. We're talking 04, 05. Gotcha. Um the national championship between Texas and USC 
which classic game, by the way. Uh, One I know of the best. Gonna, yeah, yeah. I, I know that we're going to get into that, mm-hmm. but uh, that's when I started getting big in. I was big into it before, but I really started mentioning details, like things we're talking about with details and the art of football and things like that. Um, I think that's before this recording. Just the art of it and everything. That's that's when I started noticing that kind of stuff. Um, instead of just the big hits, because you know when I'm when I'm six and seven, oh, I just want to see the big hits and cool catches and stuff. Yeah. Watch uh, the highlights. Right. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I when I was in first grade, my dad took me and my friends from school to watch Ole Miss versus Vanderbilt. Talking Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't realize at the time. I didn't even know who a Jay Cutler or really what a quarterback was. But Jay Cutler playing for Vanderbilt, Ole Miss wins by a field goal. Um, Marcus Spur- Spurlock, Michael Spurlock, actually uh, at quarterback for Ole Miss. Talk about the dark ages, <laughs> which Ole Miss has had a lot of dark ages. But that was that was some of them after Eli, all the way up until Hugh Freeze. Were really Houston Nut. Houston Nut came into the program and. Um, he put some uh, some uh, green tea into the mix, and he did. Went to uh, a little caffeine to the program. Did he take you to a Cotton Bowl? Took us to a Cotton Oklahoma Bowl. State, if I remember. Yeah, twice. I yes, believe. back to back, if I remember. And beat Oklahoma State twice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Hey, he did the same at Arkansas. Uh, late nineties, came in. We were um, came off a terrible year with Danny Ford, but Danny Ford had recruited well. But that came in and breathed life, and they were undefeated in Knoxville, lost in the final seconds in 98. We were, I say we, Arkansas was eighth in the country, undefeated. Tennessee was two in the country. We had the lead to the very end, but we uh, we lost the ball, had a fumble late in the game, a minute something left. Tennessee goes down, T. Martin quarterback, who's now uh, offensive coordinator, I think used to be at USC. Anyway, he goes down. It's the year after Peyton. They go down and score with seconds left, and uh, and they end up winning the first BCS championship in 90, 98. Mm. Um, heartbreaker. Uh, but that's first year. I mean, he did that. He he had a way of building team and enthusiasm. So he's a he's one of those underrated guys that he kind of wears out after a while because his recruiting kind of wanes in time. But he does. great coach. Um, really was. So, but you you asked the question, what is, what is classic mm-hmm. to you? What is, how far do you yeah. go back? Well, like I said, I go back to the, to the, you know, think back to early 70s and remembering the great USC teams. They were, they were known as running back you. They had probably more Heisman running backs through time than, in any program, I'd ha- almost have to make that guess. I mean, just the tradition of of USC. And then, of course, during that same time, and I always think about post-integration because that's what – before then, guys, the offensive linemen might be 180 pounds, right? They're throwing but, the football like it's a shot put. Yes, and, they're, and they are uh, – you know, I think about like the old Razorback teams of the 60s who – in the 60s, the Razorbacks were pretty good. Great program. Played for 69. They played the game of the century against Texas in Fayetteville. It was The game was so big, ABC moved it to the end of the year because they projected that it would be one versus two. Nixon flies in. 
George Bush Sr. is a senator in Texas, is there with, with Nixon. Uh, a young Bill Clinton is a student at Arkansas, like a law student, sitting over there in the crowd. There, it was crazy, the, the, the attention that was at this game. But if you look at who was on that team, Jerry Jones, Jimmy Johnson, these are great coaches, uh, you know, coaches, players, owners in, in football today that were all on that Razorback team. Uh, Jerry Jones was 175 pounds on the offensive line. Yeah. These guys played both ways sometimes. You know, this was this was a different era. So when I think about classic football for me, we're getting post-integration. We're getting got, when guys – actually weighed 250 and above on the offensive line, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So you got – there's no way a team of the 60s would even compete with a, a, an average team today because of strength, size, weight programs, things like that. So I go back to the 70s, 80s, when I start thinking about just really just devouring the football and uh, the classic games, you know, in my memory. Average offensive lineman – is 315 pounds in the NFL now. I can um, I can remember the first time, I think it was LSU, that I first heard, this was in the 80s, that they had a lineman over 300 pounds. I was like, this is unheard of. This is insane, you know. And because a, a good line would average about 250, let's say, in the late 70s, 245, two, but they were quick, fast, drove off the line, hard, low, Blocked. You couldn't use your hand back then. You had to. You could not block with your hands. You blocked with your shoulders. That's how I was. What in the world? Yeah. Well, it was. It was holding anything. You, if you put your hands, illegal touching, and so you had to block with shoulders. Like if you, when I played offensive line, you would have to, you know, fire off, block with your shoulder, and drive. Now you can manipulate like this with your hands on your shoulder pads, on their shoulder pads. But anyway, game has changed totally. Bigger, stronger, faster weight programs. Um, I remember watch uh, looking at a poster of uh, I picked. I mentioned LSU. It was a poster of the LSU football team in the weight room, and everybody had a weight room, but they had a weight program. Probably one of the best weight programs in college football, the earliest ones, and they dominated. Was Nebraska? Mm. They had an actual strength coach that was before his time. And if you go back, you think of Nebraska today, you're like, oh, they're a joke. Probably one of the top three or four programs all time. Feared, the big red machine, the black shirt defense. I mean, these are guys that were big, strong, big homegrown guys. Their offensive line was huge for the time, but strong. And they, I literally – Every year, the offensive linemen looked exactly the same. It was like shark teeth. Boom. They just pop into place. Big, big dudes across the front, and they would just mash it with a running game. And they won, what, 94, 95, and 97 national championships. That was just under one coach, uh, Tom Osborne. And they won two back-to-back in the 70s. So, it had a great, great program that is kind of forgotten today. It's definitely forgotten. The, they were the Bama of old. Mm. Oh, feared. Uh, best game, probably the best, one of the best games I've ever seen was, um, it was the 84 Orange Bowl. You had, you know, everybody knows about the U, Miami, right? Well, this was the beginning of the U. This was 83, 84. 83 season, 84 Orange Bowl. They play 
big Nebraska. Nebraska comes in to the Orange Bowl. Of course, that was the home stadium of Miami. And Miami jumps all over them. A lot of talent, uh, pro-style attack, you know. What year was that, you said? Um, it was, the eighty. I think, 84 Orange Bowl. Let me pull it up here. I had some notes to look at. Um, 1984. 84, you had number one Nebraska, number five Miami. You had Tom Osborne, legendary coach, right? Get this about Tom Osborne as I pause on this game. His last five seasons he coached, he was 60-3. and three. <sighs> Impress, Incredible. That's better than Saban. Hey, he was Saban of old, and he was he was a doctor. He was a PhD. I mean, he was he was very intelligent. This was not just some. But anyway, they get in this game. Nebraska gets down. It is a great game to watch, uh, as far as a review. If you want to watch a fun old school game, Miami gets up. Nebraska comes roaring back, and under a play that it's, it's in history, it's called the fumble ruski, but they. The center snaps the ball and sets it on the ground. The right guard picks it up and runs around the left uh, tight end. And the lineman runs in and scores. And they come from behind, and it's 31-30 into the game, and immediately Osborne puts up two fingers. A lot like Sam Pittman did last year. Talk about when you get that heart rate up. When and, the coach does, and this, just, and so he was putting it. Oh, you know, he's on the, he's on the, he's in the opponent's home stadium in a bowl game for all the marbles. They're number one, and he now he's playing to his strength, his big offensive line, and they had a, a great running game. And um, Miami holds, and this is the beginning of the U. You know, if you watch a thirty for thirty, the number one, I think maybe the second or third thirty for thirty ever made was about the U. And the reason they're so noted is because of the talent that's in South Florida. And I'll tell you this, probably the best team ever assembled, there's no, really there's no debate, was the 2001 Miami Hurricanes. Okay? People you say, would say no debate on that? Who? On the best team, no debate? Best team talent assembled. And let me just give you a Maybe run. Maybe Eric Reed or Ed Reed. Ed Reed. Let me, let me give it to you here. First of all, Miami won – they won that 83 season championship, 84 Orange Bowl. They won in 87, 89, 91, and 01. And then they got robbed in 02 against Ohio State on a bad pass interference call. But this 01 Miami Hurricane National Championship team, they were undefeated. Uh, they beat Nebraska again. They played Nebraska again. 37-14. Yes, and they handled them. They handled them. It wasn't, it wasn't even close. But listen, that team averaged – Throughout the year, they won by an average of three touchdowns. Now, listen, it's the most talented team ever assembled. 17 first-rounders were on that team. 17? Listen, 38 overall were drafted on one team. Get this. Of the 22 starters, 11 were drafted first round. So, people like Ed Reed, Willis McGahee, Frank Gore, Sean Taylor, Andre Johnson, Clinton Portitz, uh, Jeremy Shockey, big tight end, on and on and on and on. Vince Wilfork, yes, didn't realize he was on there. It was, it was, it Man. was a, an embarrassment of riches and talent, and they went to back to back. Clinton Portis, Frank Gore, all three were in the backfield. Frank Gore was a backup. <laughs> it's un, nothing. Bama has not touched any of this. I mean, this is 
it was the best team probably money could buy before the (laughs) portal, you know. (laughs) But all those guys came from South Florida. That place is like a the best recruiting like few counties in the world. I mean, it's the best. But they they they, people you unless you know the history of college football past a certain time. You don't know. You just think everybody today is the best. These guys, get this, 13 of these guys were all pros in the NFL. Mm. I mean, these are not just like the Ken Dorsey was the quarterback. He didn't pan out in the NFL. He was one of those, you know, kind of like a Johnny Menzel, good, very good in college, and then goes to the pros and kind of didn't make it. Um, but 13 were all pro, you know, all-star. Frank Gore in and of himself, too, is a um, um, specimen to be studied. Anytime a running back can last in the NFL for 20 years. Mm. I mean, you're talking Ed about – Reed, same thing. He, he just retired. That's, uh, that's hard to imagine. Now, safety doesn't get away from harm at all. In fact, even when they inflict the harm on others, they're mm-hmm. taking it because the human body can only take so much. But, man, you're talking Frank Gore getting hit – constantly for 20 years mm-hmm. and his knees and everything mm-hmm. being able to hold up. I would like to see his nutrition, <laughs> his nutrition coach going after that. I want to look up his stats. Yeah. The guys that last long, they usually avoid major injury, but he probably has a, acquired a lot of damage that may not show till later, you know? Yeah. The, well, the, the arthritis, the, I don't know. Did he have major injuries? I don't remember. I don't remember any okay. of them. But even him playing now, um, he is 39 years old, 39 and 112 days old. Still, He's still in the league, right? Or did he retire recently? I, I, I think he's – I'm not sure. I believe he is still playing. Um, I don't see any news of him retiring. Uh, but – And that's the thing for me, Cole. I, I'm more of a college fan. I do watch a little pro here and there. I used to be a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. They stopped standing up for national anthem yeah. and all that. Yeah. But um, I just kind of – I love the college game. I love the – I used to say the pureness. <laughs> but it's like a semi-pro now. So, But it's still – you know, c- p- people don't know this unless – and I used to be a history teacher too. But you know, college – you know, football in general started post-Civil War. And it was started to make sure that men post the war – did not become weak and feminine. They 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 created a game that looked like um, kind of Napoleonic battle. Two sides lining up face to face, cross from each other. An offensive volley would be sent, and defend. You know, that's that. It was to keep men, you know, masculine. That's why it was started. So it goes back to the. Post-Civil War days in the 1800s. That's what I appreciate about football, if we're taking it theologically, which I don't want to get your uh, – no, we've already talked about that, your your definition, your, your standard of classic football. But what I like about football on a deeper level is that in spite of all of this nonsense about how men and women are the same, football is one of those things that, without speaking any words, proves to everybody – Men and women are not the same biologically. They are Absolutely. not the same uh, genetically. They're not the same when it comes to sport. You don't have to. You don't have to defend how 
you are not the same with Miss Kendra. You don't have to defend that when it comes to football. Right. You you want to be the same? Let's let's lace up and let's let's play some eleven on eleven girls yeah. versus boys tackle. Everybody in their right mind is going to pick the male team um, because man, just imagine you imagine the even the two hundred and forty five pound lady trying to tackle Derrick Henry, who's two hundred forty five pounds. That would be violence. That would be criminal. Yeah, it would. He could have charges brought against him. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, and I'm not trying to be derogatory, but uh, on, no. on, a, on a spiritual level, God when we're, we're examining yeah. the scriptures, God fashioned the female absolutely the the, to be the helper, the fairer of the two sexes, right? Yes, yeah. And so it's not a slight to to a woman at all to oh. say that she can't play football versus men. In fact, it's probably um, a, a compliment to her that she is fine china, that she is mm. fashioned as the beautiful, weaker vessel who is the cheerleader for the guy who's beating his brains out playing football. <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There's, I mean, and that always lays it, out the separation between the two. You see these silly um, commercials by Under Armour where the – the woman, the girl in high school, she she gets knocked down and practice at first, but oh boy, she's coming <laughs> back and she's coming back with a vengeance. And it shows her in the game, and she's the defensive end, the mean defensive end who's coming around the corner to tackle that quarterback. And you ask all the coaches in America, okay, that's that's cool, isn't it? You put the girl on your team in crunch time to make the big play. Yeah, uh, crickets going to happen i think it was um well it was the women's olympic soccer team um with uh, i forget who all was on that team but they played like a 14 or 15 u um, like all-star boys team and got demolished speed strength skill i mean yeah it was not even fair i mean i, I think they beat them like 5-0 or something. i mean it was you can go back and look at the score but they that, that nobody talks about that, right? Um, but it did come out. They played, and I forget. It might have been a fourteen U team, and the, again, these boys were post, you know, post puberty, obviously, but big, fast, strong, high, highly skilled fourteen U soccer team played the Olympic women's team and got destroyed. Advertise that? Yeah, no, they're not because we got a, you know, there's an, an agenda, but, but no, I mean. Football Saturday point is yeah. Saturday morning football takes us back to nature, as God designed it. it. Absolutely, there's a there's powerful there's a powerful God, and there's also the 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 feminine side of God too. That that the mercy the you know the you think about the caregiver, and I'm not a theologian like yourself, but you think about when the babies the baby the baby cries. Yeah, Dad can go, but th- sometimes they just want Mama. Yes. And dad can't really do a lot. And I've got two two grown sons. But, you know, I kind of know from experience there's times where daddy's, daddy works when he's when they're uh, young boys. You know, that's who they want to hang with. But when they're, you know, sometimes they need mama's touch. Yes, they <laughs> to, do. To fix an injury or something like that. It hurt. About, you think about it even today um, when it comes to that. Or we imagine when we were, in, in my case, which – don't want to go too far into this, but just the natural thing to do. Hey, I, I need some tender conversation. Let me call mom. Yeah. 
Whereas with dad, hey, dad, could you teach me how to build this bed? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, get, I need a carburetor that needs to be. If you need sympathy, up. you call mom. Yeah. Dad, dad don't, you know. And that, that is reflected in football. That's reflected in, in college football. Well, we it's, can, it's right. It's an aggressive, tough sport. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, you look back at football, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of injuries, right, that you don't get over. I, I didn't even play at a high level. I just played through high school and um, tore an ACL. <laughs> have had shoulder surgery, two knee surgeries, two back surgeries. So it is a there's. A, but I would do it all again. That's the thing because of the the fun, the um, team, the team aspect, um, and you can get that from other sports too. Something there's something about football that is um, it is. It's a little different um, because there's a little bit more of a, a maybe a bravery part of it. Like you, it feels like you're. It's not battle, obviously. That the troops are amazing, but you have to psych yourself up to go into a a tough football game, um, where you know maybe you're an underdog even, and um, and. I, that is a masculine thing. You uh, can can ladies do that? Maybe so, but that's not natural to them. I would almost guarantee you. Not at all. It, and and I can kind of use this as an example. So we're we're Ole Miss in Arkansas, um, twenty twenty one. Which pause real quick. Would you call that an instant classic? Absolutely. It was voted number one game of last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In spite of all the even other really even. Good games. My team loses. I mean, rivalry as a, I think those type games create the rivalries. You know, Arkansas Ole Miss has played for years. Even when we, when I say we, Arkansas was in the Southwest Conference. We would always play Ole Miss either in Jackson or Little Rock for years through the eighties, right? Just a good non-conference, good for the fan bases, close. They could come together. Jackson's. Three hours from here, maybe. I don't even know. How so, they played in Jackson? They played Jackson. Not on campuses. They played Jackson in Little Rock. Uh, so, War Memorial and wherever it was in Jackson. I'm not sure. Yeah. Back back when Jackson was clean. Yes. Back before the water went out of business <laughs> down there. But but the but anyway, yeah. So, this this those type games will build the big rivalries for the future. Like, Arkansas has the Ole Miss game circled because of what happened last year. And that's how rivalries really re- begin and thrive. Instant classic on the spot. So I have two friends with me watching that game who don't care at fo- for football at all. I mean, they're seeing me go, wow. And then they're seeing me get just dejected. All back to back to back to back. So many emotions in that game. Mm. Well, Delano Roll, who he's going to be on the next released podcast episode this coming Friday talking about Pilgrim's Progress. He, man, he's from the Bahamas. He doesn't know anything about football. At the very end, Stan Pittman holds up them twos. Delano Roll says, oh, man, I got to stand up for this. <laughs> he had to get into it. Yeah. Because – It's the theater of the game. It's and, the dramatics. And it pulled yep. out his manliness, I believe. His, Delano's manliness, bravery. We're laying it all out for life. Yeah. Do we want to live? We have to risk death, and we have to just go for it. We can't think about the consequences yeah. if you just gotta you gotta strive for it. 
G.K. Chesterton says this on bravery. G.K. Chesterton is a tough read. But one of the best quotes that I read from him in, in this book was this. Take the case of courage. No quality has ever so much uh, rattled the brains and tangled the definitions of merely rational sages. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. Mm. That's good. He says, he, and he quotes the verse, he that will lose his life the same shall save it. Is not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It is a piece of everyday advice for sailors or mountaineers. It might be printed in an alpine guide or a drill book. This paradox is the whole principle of courage, even of quite earthly or brutal courage. A man cut off by the sea may save his life if he will risk it on the precipice. Do you want to save your life in this game, Nebraska (laughs) versus Miami? Do you want the championship? You better hold up them peace signs because you better go for two. That's right. I don't but you know. might lose your life. Yeah, it's along the same quote. I don't know who said it. You can maybe Google it. But a coward dies a thousand deaths, but a brave man dies but once. Um, same along those same lines. You know, it, football does bring out those emotions. The, the fortitude. The um, it is a semblance of uh, on a small scale to like war. You know, it is. It's uh, it's going to battle. Um, it's it's an amazing game. It brings out those those instinctive, you know, qualities that probably only a, only men have. You know, in a, in a unique it's, way. It's, it's been it's been pre-programmed into us <laughs> by God. It really has, and yeah. it's it's just a time to appreciate. Um, gender and things like that and, and and the way that uh god has built our instinct you know we're we're not going to give instinct to the evolutionary priests no instinct is ours we are the young, christians have the worldview to explain instinct so when we come to football let's let's interpret football theologically okay. um toby sumter you should look it up toby sumter on Canon Press has a good little insert about how women are expensive, they're pricey, they're beautiful, they're just immaculate, and they're they're gold, they're they're mm-hmm. fine shiny. You got to be careful with them. You got to be tender with them. Um, and every God fearing woman wants to be treated that way. respect and and care and close attention. Whereas you got a man, a man is cheap. He's cheap. He's he's created cheaply. And he's created cheaply for a reason to, to build stuff. He can be broken and come back, and, and he's going to lose a ton of brain cells, but it's okay because he didn't have many in the first place. Right, so, right. Um, they can wear the same pair of jeans from Walmart for years. <laughs> Not even wash them. Are, these are fine. Yeah, they're okay. I mean, what's wrong with them? I can still put them on. I, I want to read you a, a verse, and then we'll start to get into the classic questions um, that we've come up with, Yeah. unless you have something else. because. No. Uh, which let me pause there. If I have sort of an outline, if we don't follow the outline at all, so what? We just roll with it. No pun intended. <laughs> Football don't really roll, right? Wobbles, kind of wobbles, yeah. like a floundering duck. So you think of Second Samuel, the historic historical books, sometimes called the um, uh, the former prophets in the academic world. So you're thinking Joshua to 
you know, Samuel. Okay. Things like that. Come becoming my favorite section of the book because the history is so dense and artistic. You got the Battle of Gibeon in Second Samuel. It says this in Second Samuel chapter two, verse twelve, Abner, the son of Ner. So this is like the the team of Saul, Abner. Uh, and the servants of Ishbosheth, who anointed himself after Saul, if I remember correctly. All the theologians out there, correct me with gentleness, please. Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanaim to Gibeon. And Joab, the son of Zariah, and the servants of David went out and met them at the pool of Gibeon. So it's the team of Saul versus the team of David. And instead of playing with the football, they're playing with swords. Yeah, real, playing for keeps. Yeah. <laughs> and they sat down. So Abner, Ishbosheth, they sit down. Uh, Joab sits down across from them. the one on the one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. And Abner said to Joab, let the young men arise and compete before us. Instead of us going at it, let the young men arise and compete. You got your team. I got mine. And Abner said, uh, and, and Joab said, let them arise. Then they arose and passed over by number, twelve for Benjamin and Ishbosheth the son of Saul, and twelve of the servants of David. Close to football. I know. I was thinking that. And each caught his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side. So they fell down together. Therefore the place was called Hilkath Azurim, which is at Gibeon. And you talk about just kind of pulling out the instinct of war from us. Football is a way for brothers to get together and compete before one another in a in a make-believe life-or-death situation. It's just one of those things where it pulls out your mind in a certain way where this, my, my life, not really, but in, in, a, in a sports uh, way, my, my life is on the line here. Uh, but there's, of course... Sinful and non-sinful ways to do it. You know, when, when the guys start trash-talking in, in just ways that they would not want their mom to hear. You know, we, we could get in the house. Obviously, that's simple. But, man, that like, the time we played Bago, it just it, it always brings it out of us. It's just this uh, life and The death. competitive nature. Yeah. 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 Uh, you're right. It's um, men love to compete. Most do. Some some say, well, may I don't really did really, I don't really care to compete in a, some type of game, but when once you get into it, most men are, and, and a lot of women are competitive too. I don't want to slight the women, but we go back to football. Football, it's impossible to play football at a high level without having a competitive nature, because you, it's not a contact sport; it's a collision sport. It is your whole objective is to knock the people down or back or to, and to do that, you have to play with great emotion. Um, I, you were mentioning something about players that were trash talking or I love to watch a player like a, an old school player would be a Herschel Walker or Barry Sanders who would play and never say a word. They would score a great run and hand the ball to the referee even in the pros, they would run over, hand it to the referee, and run to the sideline, never say a word, never look at me, point at their back, nothing. They'd let their their actions do all the talking. 
And right. those guys stand out through time as the greatest. It's the, it's not the TOs of the world. They don't stand out. It's the Jerry Rice of the world mm-hmm. who never said a word, who just scored on everybody. Mm-hmm. And their action did the talking. And, you know, that probably, there's probably a theological carryover there. For sure, there is. <laughs> but a lot of people would look at that, at the TOs of the world, and see, see, that's why football is so sinful. Don't blame football for the sin that has tainted it. Right. Just like we don't blame the pulpit, even though in America the faithful pastor is far outnumbered by the megachurch pastor who's letting his name shine. Look at me. That's that's you know, it, it all that's reflects right. across the board. You got TOs in the pulpit now, and we don't we should not let um sin destroy and take away nature from us at all. You know, it's it's still a game to be admired. Um which I thought you're going in a different direction when you're saying this, but um, what direction you, you went into a better direction, but just the players that don't talk, of course the players that do talk are the ones that bring the money in. That's why the world loves it, and that's why it's promoted. Johnny Manziel, when he was in college, he he made money for all of college football with the way that he talked, with the way that he ran his mouth. You think of Conor McGregor when it comes to fighting. But those those men who, when you start talking to them and they stay quiet, and they just look you in the eyes. They give you that look. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Perfect example. Not a model citizen through life or anything, but scary quiet. Scary quiet. A football player nowadays in the league who is that way? Aaron Rodgers. Mm-hmm. They did a st- stat of him. I, I, I probably won't be able to find it in a timely manner right now, but they did a stat of him when he got sacked like week 10 and the person who sacked him stood up and did the discount double check sign the State Farm to mock him for his commercial. His statistics after that play are astronomical. Like ever since this play, Aaron Rodgers never threw an interception again and had like wow. a, a ton of yards. He passed. got motivated. Motivated. Yep. Khabib Nurmagomedov, if you're in um, kickboxing or MMA at all, he's that dude where you start talking to him. It's over. He's not going to say a word back to you. He's going to wait till we're in combat. Um, but it's over. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So here we sure. have it. We, we've had a few questions that will serve as catapults for a lot of our conversation. Um, I forgot how many players or how what the number for each was. But what we've done is this. We're going to talk about classic games, which we've already kind of talked about classic games, which have already kind of talked about uh, led us into a little bit of classic teams and stuff like that. But let's kind of break it down. Give me three classic games. Which Do you want to set the, the ground rules for this? You, you well, text this a little bit. Are, are you just well, wanting I, to talk I, about national championships? No, or and I have, games I have some from both. Okay. Um Probably the greatest game, and you would have remembered this one too. When I just when I say greatest game, I'm thinking just the f- the swings of a game, the drama, the kind of a David Goliath mentality of a game was the 07 Fiesta Bowl, Oklahoma Boise State. You remember this game? Yes. So yeah, you had. I don't even know what they call that play. Is it the 
the Statue of Liberty? It is a Statue of Liberty play, but um, I was talking to a buddy who name's Brad McClellan. His dad probably the winningest high school football coach in Arkansas. Back when he was playing for, I'll just give you a little little background on Brad. He played for his dad, Frank McClellan. He's since passed away, but from his, he went four years playing for his dad. They never lost a game. I mean, it was that type of uh, coaching and just experience he had. But anyway, I was asking him, Brad, he's about, my, he's a little bit younger than me. I said, tell me, think of one classic game. And this game came up and we talked about it. So I went back and I wanted to just review it because I watched it live. He did too. And he, he was so excited at the end of this game, he went and woke his wife up. You know, he's, I got to tell somebody what happened. So you had a, a, a highly favored Oklahoma team. Oklahoma is a storied program. Uh, it has some Arkansas ties. Barry Switzer was a longtime coach there. Barry Switzer played at Arkansas, uh, was on the 64 national championship team as, a, I think, a grad assistant possibly, uh, who coached Jerry Jones. I mean, it's just a long line of Arkansas connections there. But he coached at Oklahoma, won, I think, maybe three national titles. So they were, even before him, Bud Wilkerson won national titles at, at, at Oklahoma. Anyway. So Oklahoma is highly favored in this game. It's o it's the O six team playing in the <clears throat> the O seven Fiesta Bowl, and they this game probably is the reason we have a playoff today. You think so? Potentially, because an upstart Boise team, who was this was the BCS era, they were dominant. Yes, but they could never get into the the playoff system, right? I mean, we didn't have a playoff back then. They didn't ever get enough votes because why? They didn't play tough enough schedule. Their OC is their their quarterback. Then is the OC of Dallas Cowboys now. Okay, what's his name? I can't remember. Lefty, big yes, awkward looking lefty. Yes, is it Humphreys or something like? I'll the, look it up. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> so let me set the game. BS, uh, I say BSU. Boise jumps out on Oklahoma, twenty-eight ten. Kellen Moore, go ahead. Okay, he wasn't the quarterback in that. He game. wasn't no, but he was around that time period. Boise jumps out 28-10 on Oklahoma. Oklahoma's – they got Adrian Peterson in the backfield. This is Oklahoma, right? This is not some um, – no, they were – what were they ranked in? Uh, I think they were number 10. They were 11-2 and two on the year. Boise did come in high, higher ranked, but they everybody knew, look, y'all have not played a Big 12 schedule, right? You didn't get to play Texas. You hadn't played all these teams. So, anyway, Boise jumps out 28-10. <clears throat> this was in the third quarter. They, they maintain that lead. Well, they it gets down to 28-20 with uh, like a uh, minute 30 left in the game, okay? Oklahoma scores and goes for two and ties it, okay? Boise on the ensuing drive after the kickoff, they get the ball, and the quarterback throws an, as an out route, but the, the guy didn't go out. The receiver went up, and the cornerback is right there for Oklahoma, picks it. And, and with less than a minute, like maybe a minute in the game, they go up 35-28. Oklahoma does. I didn't, I didn't remember. Dude, it's a crazy, it's a crazy game. <clears throat> so, um, Boise gets the ball back, 50 seconds left. They throw a couple deep passes and get it down to maybe midfield. And on the with just maybe 10 seconds left, they throw one of the great plays – 
they throw one of the great offensive plays that that still just it's got to be a top play, but it's the old hook and ladder. So the receiver is on the left side. He goes down. He cuts. It's like a whatever route it's called, but he goes down 20, 30 yards and cuts across the middle. Really kind of a hook route. It it wasn't, It was more of a straight instead of the hook. He's running across mm. the field toward the other sideline when he catches it. But then the receiver from the right side is crisscrossing and running beside him, and he just pitches him the ball. It's, it's a hook and ladder, but you're right. It's not a hook. It should have been a hook route. It's more of a lateral route or something. Kind of a but deep I, I don't know. I'm not a receiver. I forget the different routes, what you call it. But he just flicks it back to the other receiver, crisscrossing him, going back, you know, in front of him, and he is gone. Three, two, one, he jumps, dives, and it's in the end zone for a touchdown. And so um, it, it's crazy. It's 35-35, and they go into overtime, okay, because they kick the extra point. 35-35. It's, it, crowd's going insane. It's, you know, Oklahoma fans biting their nails. Um, Oklahoma scores first, kicks the extra point. Well, Boise gets the ball, and – they score, and then sets up the famous hook, uh, the famous Statue of Liberty play, where um, it's a fake fade to the right pylon, and he puts he holds the ball behind his back, and the little running backs back there like he's blocking. He takes it around the left side to the left pylon and scores. Ian, what was the running back's name? He was uh, last name was Johnson. Ian and he, Johnson, and he went over. He went over and. Um, talked to the media, and then he got on one knee and, and, and proposed to his cheerleader girlfriend. She says no. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that game no, was – didn't say and, no, and From a no, recent was. classic, that's there's, – there's games that we could bring up that <clears throat> we may not remember too well, but that is a game that for the ages. Young, I'm, I'm watching the play now. It was a 15-yard – so it's fourth and 18, but he runs a 15-yard post route. Is it a post? Okay. Yeah. It I, seemed I, like it was not quite as to the post, but more like just horizontal hit, yeah. across the field. He hit him right when he turns. I'm looking at a young Bob Stoops right now. Talk about a dominant coach. Young Bob Stoops. First year there, he wins the national title, yeah. 2000. And then he brings in Sam Bradford, who was a freshman that led him to the championship. His nickname, you know his nickname, right? What? It was Big Game Bob. That was his, that was his nickname. Coming through right. in the big game. But he had some games where, you know, I do think Lincoln Riley took him, took where he took him to, you know, modernized him, and then took it to the next level. Yeah. Because I, I have a a good friend that played at Oklahoma in the '90s, and they had some Coach Gibbs. I forget his first name. They they were in the doldrums in the '90s. They they didn't do well. Mm. Um, they, I mean, you had the greatness of the '80s and Marcus Dupree and the the wishbone and Jamal Holloway, one of the best wishbone quarterbacks ever. I love watching the wishbone. If, if if that Oklahoma team with modern players could put Barry Switzer's wishbone in today, they could run the table. I'm just telling you. On <laughs> because, a wishbone? Come uh, on. Nobody can stop it. Hey, Navy runs the wishbone and beats a lot of people. Remember Paul Rhodes or whatever his name was, the coach? It's it's hard to defend. Georgia Tech's got a mean offense. That's the sarcasm. I don't <laughs> No, the point is, when it first came out, nobody knew how to defend yeah, it. That's yeah. why – think about the spread. I remember these coaches like a Malzahn. When he was you know, doing – he was one of the first innovators. And, 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 and even like guys like Leach. Urban Meyer in Florida. 
It's uh, really when it got dominant, Urban Meyer. Yeah, and and it was a, it's a little different style. It's a more of a it's kind of what Arkansas runs kind of a little bit today with a quarterback that can run Tebow mm-hmm. type, Chris Leak, also pass. Um, but the wishbone was one of those. Uh, you had three great running backs. A great, you, you had a running quarterback who could also pass. Um, it was hard to defend until people figured out how to defend it. You, d- you recruited players on the defense that had certain responsibilities. Cornerback gets the pitch man, you know, the linebacker take the full, you know, they all had their responsibilities. And one guy let up on a responsibility, it could go. And, hey, you go back and watch the – the option of Nebraska that they ran out of the I formation. Um, watch the tri- the triple option of of you know Texas in the sixties and seventies. It was unstoppable because they had greater athletes. One thing we hadn't mentioned: the classic teams of old they didn't have a scholarship limit of twenty five. Teams like Texas would recruit a hundred players a year. They would recruit kids to set them to bench just so Arkansas would not get that kid. Mm-hmm. So that we're talking about a different era, the classic college football. The, Rockefeller the, business model. Well, just get all – hey. Buy them all out. What team has the most money, um, they're going to get most scholarships. Uh, yeah, you would sign kids. But anyway, I'm kind of jumping around. But, no, those uh, – Oklahoma, that Boise game, going back to the game, that was a game that probably started, you know, yesterday they just announced a 12-team playoff no later than 2026. Which is going to be, uh, it's going to help the average good teams like an Ole Miss that's hard to get in, but maybe you have that ten and two season that you've played a tough schedule and you get you get in at number ten. Mm-hmm. It's going to help the the Arkansas, the Ole Misses, the uh, the poor little A and M's that can't ever get over the hump. They're they're close to getting over the hump though. See, we'll see, we'll see. But you think about it. You you mentioned triple option. We have it now. It just looks different. Mm-hmm. You look at all the – what is the RPO? That is a triple option. It is. You at least have two options where you could either run or pass. But if you if you look at it with offensive coordinator mindset, there's – we look at, okay, he's got two options. It's either a run or a pass. But there's also the check route. Yeah. And the check route is essentially a glorified run play. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the, um, uh, the halfback sweep modernized. So they, I, I get you, and I agree with you. I don't think the wishbone could work now, but I do think the same concept, the same thing in mind works, and that's with triple option, and you're going to have a power option in that package where you want to get three yards, that could easily turn into 20 yards, hand it off to big running back who's uh, running against a defense that is expecting a half-act sweep. And, and really – well, I, I disagree with you. I think it could work. It just you just have to recruit toward that. Right. Uh, we've seen the academy schools run the triple option, and they're successful. But think about if an Alabama decided we're going to go this route, we're going to go big time offensive linemen because they're let's take Alabama. They don't have a highly regarded offensive line this year. They have a great quarterback. They have great receivers. They, they've recruited to this perimeter play. Mm-hmm. But if you recruited a Derrick Henry, uh, an Ingram in the backfield at the same time with a strong fullback and you ran, you had a, a highly dynamic running quarterback that was cat quick, 
yes, you could be successful with it. Would you score 70 points a game or 60 points a game? Uh, I don't know. Nebraska used to. They would put 70 on the board against Kansas and Kansas States and, uh, you know, the game of the century and of the 70s, they, they had all these names, was the 71 Nebraska-Oklahoma game. Well, both teams, the highly running uh, – highly uh, skilled running game, different era. I get that. But you can put points on the board when you have superior athletes on the other side. Remember, the only thing that really matters is if you have buy-in by player and coach. Mm-hmm. They will, If a kid will run through the wall for you, you can be successful with any style of offense. Really, the spread we see now that you see on Arkansas, this RPO stuff is really nothing more than – what we used to have out of the single wing. They used to have a running quarterback then. They've just altered it a bit. And that goes back to years and years ago. That's cool. Cole, Cole, Cole gets his coffee filled up here. Entire, entire lid's about to open up, about to spill everywhere. Here, let me add you some. I'm good. Plenty. And and I, I agree with you on that point too. And and if they're recruiting that way, and the, the game is starting to change, where the the defense has to 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 respond yeah. to that. Yeah, it's it's all about what you recruit to. Um, can you imagine? I mean, one thing and and kind of off the subject. That's what makes Nick Saban amazing as a coach. He was willing to go from a Mark Ingram running attack, Derrick Henry, to a Let's let's go get us a quarterback that's not just a game manager, which he won that way too. But let's go get let's go get a quarterback who is super athletic, who can throw. Uh, the Tua's the get the kid name that's there now. What's so you got Tua? What really changed them to an RPO was yeah. um, uh, the other Hurts Hurts yep. Jalen Hurts, but you're 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 too late on. When Saban started to change, what what changed Saban's oh, offense? It, he he said it himself. Uh, I just watched an interview. Uh, it was it was Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. No no no. Before that, it was well, Hugh Freeze. Well, he he yeah, credited. Yeah, Hugh you're Freeze. right. You're right. You 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 got to the heart of it, Hugh Freeze. Mm-hmm. But what changed him actively, not what? just passively? Well, it would be Lane, Lane Kiffin. Train Kiffin. Well, he, Miss, he, well, and Kiffin did not even run that offense. That was not his offense. He, he, had the he told to him, yeah, he told him, he goes, we are losing, we have lost. What has been our weakness is losing to a team that runs a, a hurry-up, tempo-style offense. He said, I want you to put it in here. And so he, he, you know, Lane changed. He didn't run that at USC as OC. Mm-hmm. No. No, they run pro-style. But the, the, the good thing about Lane – is that he has the ability to adapt. Some coaches don't, and they get left behind. I will say Lane this. Does. Lane is Lane does not fit the culture of Ole Miss like a Sam Pittman might at Arkansas. That's an objective. Uh, he he will not stay there long term because he is he he is he is gonna go to bigger things. Uh you I'm just telling you. He hadn't been there long enough now. If only our listeners would know what you and your two sons put me through last year. Y'all said that every single day. He's not going to be here at the end of this year. This guy He's has been be an here. NFL coach. He's going to be at LSU. 
I don't think he's L- uh NFL coach. I, I think he might go. Was to, he successful in the NFL? Not at all. So that's you know what got him. Fired. Therein lies the rub. Guys that are highly competitive don't like to fail. But Nick Saban is wouldn't dare go back. Nick to Saban's one hundred forty two years old too. <laughs> I think there's a huge difference between the NFL and the college coach, and I don't think college coaches like the NFL. I don't think that they there's you look at Urban Meyer. Very few have been successful. I, Lou Holtz was a it was a Chip Kelly was successful. He was successful. I said very few. Hey, uh, Lou Holtz uh, failed at the Jets before he came to Arkansas in the seventies, right? I mean, it's it's animal. tough. Um, Spurrier went to Washington, wasn't successful. <laughs> um, it's tough. Yeah, you're right. You have and a coach in the NFL has to be a game manager, kind of a, a psychiatrist in a sense with egos, whereas. Whereas in the um, in in the college game, you can be more of a, a true coach, in a sense. You be know? hard on your players. A little harder because it. We'll see how this changes with the um, with the name, image, and likeness thing. You know, as they're getting more money. I mean, you got players now, Cole, that are making billions of year a year in uh, income off of NIL. Quarterbacks coming out of high school with a million dollar NIL package. So it it will see as the player looks at the coach in college and goes, "Come on, man, I've got a multi million dollar deal." I think because as long as the NFL's ahead of them, they're still going to listen and be be a good you know player and 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 they're, they understand obey they need and, the discipline. Yes, yeah, yeah. they they want to get to the next level. But once you're in the next level, and you're making five times more than the coach. Yeah. Uh, they have a hard time listening to a coach that's one year away from being fired, um, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the sad part about the NFL, which is w- one reason why I don't like it as much, because the deterioration of authority, an authority figure. Yes. Uh, to lead back to the question on the classic game, so yours, I would take first one is Fiesta Ball. Well, th- yeah, and that was reminded by a good friend. And um, let me – Yeah, you give me yours. Let me bring one in to kind of – connect again with with Saban and Kiffin and stuff you take it back to uh 2015 Ole Miss in Alabama it's a night game it's a I want to say it's an eight o'clock game yeah it was an eight o'clock game on ESPN nice number 15 Ole Miss Rebels comes in to to Tuscaloosa Alabama was number two at the time final score 43-37 Ole Miss and it was one of those games where we jump up. It's seventeen to ten at halftime. Um, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, it's thirty to seventeen. So we're up by a little over a, a touchdown. Uh, Bama starts crawling back. I remember the feeling of that. Where Coker, he comes in. He was the second string for the game, but he comes in uh, behind. I forget the starting quarterback's name. That's how sports goes. He comes in, and he just starts flinging it down the field, and they're catching these deep passes. They're starting to score and stuff, and I just see that the lead slowly deteriorate for us, and I remember that feeling even now. You, you know, when here your team they is come. up, here yeah. they come, and they're coming with a smile on their face. They've cracked the code. Reality has set in. <laughs> yeah, All it is is a matter of time. Nonetheless, we we hold it out. Um, we We pull through. We win the game and talk about a feeling. That 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 game, um, opening kickoff, we kick it off to them. I'm standing up. 
I'm staying up in my in my uh, living room. I'm like, oh, they kick it. The guy catches it, runs a few, fumbles it. Ah, <laughs> fumble the very first play of the game. We recover it. We don't score a touchdown there, which, it, man, that was a good Bama defense. We end up kicking a field goal to go up. But to read to you some stats, it's kind of staggering that we, we won this game, but there's a few differences in the stat that show why we won it. I'm going to say turnovers. Turnovers? Yeah. Yes. Alabama had – Five turnovers. Five. Let me, let me pause there for a second. The reason I, I guess that, I mean, you mentioned y'all, they, y'all caused a fumble in the front, first uh, play. I'll hit pause for a second. 1981, number one Texas rolls into Fayetteville uh, against uh, Lou Holtz, Arkansas team. We're not even ranked. It's homecoming. Texas rolls in. Early in the game, Arkansas causes turnovers. We beat them 41 to 7. Number one, Texas, who, by the way, Texas used to be Bama. If they ever get the coach right, they will be as good as anybody. Them coming to the league is not good, by the way, because they'll become bet more like Bama. But I pause there, go back to your story. Turnovers are always a key for upsets. Yes. Always the keys. If you can cause turnovers, two, three, and against a big opponent that you really probably you hope to win, but it's a stretch. It's always because of turnovers. Yes, you don't just line up and whip them. I remember what game was it that Ole Miss y'all threw a pass, Bama D back went right through his hands. That's this game. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that that's correct. That's correct. I mean fortunate and great for the fan it's almost like the arkansas fourth and 25 hunter heave oh don't game. remind me of that's that. the same year right 20 2015 no, yeah. yes let's let's yeah. move on <laughs> i can't i i will not watch that play. i can't, I can't doesn't I, th- I think aaron didn't he send you that my son sends you that every fourth yeah, of yeah, april 25th i want to say that was actually 20 <laughs> yeah no that was it was 2015 yeah. but go ahead finish your your alabama story that's terrible um that was opening a third quarter, first possession, third and three. They all Incredible. out blitz, all out blitz. We fumble the the um, hike. I remember this. The ball bounces way yes. up high. He, he catches it. Chad Kelly doing Chad Kelly things. <laughs> what are you thinking, Chad Kelly? Come on, he just Chad. throws it. He just chunks it wherever he can. Uh, D back is about to intercept it. Bounces off of him right into Quincy <laughs> out of Boy Joe's hands, and he's gone. Gone. I remember it. I remember <laughs> thinking. I looked though. I just thought, this is it. This is it. That's how you upset great teams. That's how you do it. And, and to your point, if you're the underdog and you get the turnovers, you have to capitalize on it. You have to. Yeah. Can't settle for field goals. Cannot. You, you have, have to, to punch them. So statistics on this game. Chad Kelly. When I have my first son, I'm going to name him Stephen Chad after <laughs> the Chad Kelly. And um, just because of this game, <laughs> really. Um, 18 for 33 on passing, 341 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. Cody Core, who's the leading receiver, four receptions, 123 yards. I saw the game, also the game, too, where they have the play where Chad Kelly runs out like he's going to run it. He's on the far side of the field, far right side of the field. Runs right up to the line of scrimmage like he's going to run it to the point to where the defensive back runs in to try to tackle him. Yeah. Throws it right at the very end, right before he crosses the line of scrimmage. Cody Core wide open. 
Do you remember the, um, the uh, I believe it was called, the, and it's one of my games, the Cam Newton, Cam Back game, Iron Bowl. I think it was that game. No, 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 2013 Iron Bowl. Same thing happened against Bama. Malzahn's got his quarterback like he's doing a sprint out, like he's going to run down the field. And right before he gets to the line, he just tosses it right over the cornerback's head into the receiver, and he's gone. Wide open. Very similar to what you're talking about there. Yeah. yeah. Listen to this. Third down efficiency, Ole Miss, four for 14. When they get to third down, they're not doing anything except mm-hmm. that one touchdown. Big difference in the game. Alabama was 11-20 and 20 on third down. Passing, Alabama has 503 passing yards. Ole Miss had 433. Uh, no, actually, that's total yards. Passing yards, 343 <coughs> Ole Miss, 288 Alabama. Rushing, 215 Alabama. When it comes to penalties, Ole Miss had eight penalties, 57 yards. Alabama only had four penalties. Time of possession, and this was the grueling part of the game, 35, 20, 35 minutes and 26 seconds for Alabama. Ole Miss only had 24 minutes. I had quicker strikes. I remember like the – like the pass play you were talking about earlier that maybe should have been intercepted but bounced kind of went through his hands and bounced off and into y'all's hands you score. Sometimes if you score quick, it time of possession can be kind of a – especially with an offense like Ole Miss with Hugh Freeze. If they could score quickly, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, great game. That's a classic game. Uh, how about the game that I think Nutt was there and y'all beat Florida with Tebow? And that was the speech game where he said, as long as I'll ever live, I'll never let this team down. <laughs> you know, he's yeah. in tears at the press conference. And and nut, <laughs> Nuts, Houston Nuts like, yes. That's such a good That's a plaque. Yeah. yeah. And they went on to destroy everybody <laughs> after that. It's like, thanks, Ole Miss. <laughs> hey, don't worry. I was going to get to that. But I was going to get to that when we got to the classic teams. Um, okay. Which yeah. But no, that's that's hilarious. No. What I want to listen to Tebow. Let me let me pull it up. They put this. As, lo- as long as I ever live. Started out great, but then we got momentum going, and, and we got some some points of difference. And, you know, um, those turnovers that stuff we never do, and uh, it kind of just I don't know. I think it maybe took away a little confidence in us and just the momentum and uh, for the next few drives we weren't playing like the Florida Gators. Um, uh, then we got back going and got back the momentum and, and started making plays again. Stupid mistakes. You heard me talk after Tennessee game about how well we did. Um, not putting our defense in bad positions and not turning the ball over. And um, we did that this game. You know, that's something you, still, you want as a quarterback, the opportunity two minutes in, to go in the game and Shot to lead your team down for the victory. And time had 100% um, trust and faith in my team and myself that we we're going to drive down the score. And, um, and I still, you know, fourth and one did. Um, that's something that very, very rarely we get stopped in fourth and one. It's kind of a little bit of our, um, you know, swaggers that we can convert always on fourth and one. And, you know, Done it for the last two years. And you um, didn't. They beat us to it. Beat us. Here you come. Extremely disappointed. Um, you know, you got to give credit to Old Miss. They kept fighting and uh, made a big play with the touchdown pass and everything. And Blind hog found um, an acorn. That's a game that we feel like we should have won. We could have won. And um, 
we have to make um, smarter, better plays um, to win the rest of them, and um, it's just it's just frustrating. I wanted to stay in our hearts and, and keep hurting um, because this will motivate me um, personally, and I think believe everybody else, coaches, and the rest of the players, um, to never let something like this um, happen again. Um, especially feel we're better than the team and um, don't play up to our ability. And uh, I just want to say one thing. Um, Here it is. To the fans and everybody in Gator Nation. Um, He's holding back tears. I'm sorry. Um, extremely sorry. We are hoping for an undefeated season. That was my goal. Something Florida's never done here. But I promise you one thing. A lot of good will come out of this. I've never seen any player in the entire country play as hard as I will play the rest of the season. And you never see someone push the rest of the team as hard as I will push everybody the rest of the season. You never see a team play harder than we will the rest of the season. God bless. That was on a plaque. That's on the plaque at the stadium. Saying that, though. Kind of gives you chills. I do like. I do like. Uh, and they went on to win the national title, if I remember. They yeah. did. Yeah. And. I do like Tim Tebow. What a quality, what a quality man. And, and so that is funny because of the result. Like I laugh at that video because of the result of what happened. They demolish everybody. So I'll just, I won't wait to the end. There's no reason to skip ahead. That's my classic team. Here's, here's their record. Okay. So leading up to the Ole Miss game, Hawaii, they went 56 to 10. Miami, Florida, twenty six to three. Tennessee, thirty to six. They lose to um to Ole Miss. Next game, who they play? Arkansas, thirty eight to seven. Yeah. After that speech, that iconic speech that give you the chills. <laughs> he comes in. He ain't lying. Tebow is not lying. He is not messing around. Thirty eight to seven. Seventy thousand in attendance. So their attendance dropped off pretty big after that. A lot of Gator Nation is probably like, eh, this team is not much. We're not really worried about them. Because they dropped down to to number four at that point. Uh, attendance is 70,000. Okay, they come in, they wipe the floor with with Arkansas. Next game. <laughs> he it likes is, getting that in there. <laughs> next game, the attendance jumps back up to 90,684 against number three, LSU. They win that game 51-21. to after that, they're playing Kentucky SEC competition. Yeah, they won sixty-three to five. Then they go. Kentucky was playing baseball. That's the problem. Well, that's yeah, that's an issue. I mean, I'm not gonna be hyperbolic <laughs> with Kentucky program. But it's better now play, though. They play number eight Georgia after that, forty-nine to ten at Vanderbilt, forty-two to fourteen. Then they play number twenty-four South Carolina, fifty-six to six. Like we're we're making SEC competition look like it is nothing. That's with Spurrier at South Carolina. Yeah. Then they're playing the Citadel. Okay, I'm gonna skip that one. They're playing okay, okay, rivalry game. It's gonna be real big at number twenty three, Florida State, forty five fifteen. Yeah. Number then they play number one, Alabama. It's a it's at the Georgia Dome. Um, rivalry game, all the marbles, SEC championship. Then I guess since it's at the Georgia Dome, thirty-one to twenty, nothing. Playing against a big, good Sam Bradford-led Oklahoma team, twenty-four fourteen. I remember that that Oklahoma game. Where I remember him beating Saban in the SEC championship, and that was impressive. 
I hope they enjoyed it. They didn't get to do it again. <laughs> but um, in that Oklahoma game, there was a point in the fourth quarter where everybody – they Tim just put everything on his back, and he did the chomp. And <laughs> like they got a first down, it was like needed toward the end of the game. And he ran the ball and got a hard first down on like fourth down. And he right, he did the chomp right in the Oklahoma players, you know, like <laughs> right at him. And that just stood – I remember he had like – Field paint all over his face and you know Brave jersey heart. and you know Braveheart. Yeah, it was like Braveheartish, but um, yeah, great team. Um, I, you know, I mentioned a while ago my the team that stands out to me. I mentioned as far as talent was the, the Hurricanes at 01 team, probably untouched as far as the talent. They're not my favorite team. My favorite team to watch, you could pick out a Bama team probably and say, you know what. Pick one. They're, you know, 2018, uh, you know, whatever, you know, they, they've won so much. But let, before I give you my favorite team to, to watch, I want uh, to go back and reminisce about I want to just pause and tell you a little bit about Bama, though, since Saban has been there. Okay, can I do that? Scary. Well, and it, I was just looking up their stats because they're coach. one of my classic teams as far as just teams. And, and I think the – I kind of live vicariously through the the Crimson Tide, you know, being a Razorback fan. You know, it, it, as Ole Miss and Arkansas knows, you, you don't get to beat them very often, right? I think Arkansas beat them in 06 was the last time. They've never beat them with Saban. We've come close twice, really close. Hadn't done it. But since he's been there, and I'll back up and say, Bear Bryant from Fordyce, Arkansas, another Arkansas connection. I didn't realize that. Yeah, Absolutely. Greatest, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Six national titles. Coached at A&M in Kentucky before he went to Bama. No, no one thought he would be supplanted as someone greater going in behind him, but Nick Saban has done that. Since Saban has been there, since 2008, okay, 2008, of course Nick Saban has won seven national titles, more than Bear Bryant, one at LSU, Six at Alabama. Since 08, he has six national titles. But get this. This is as, as impressive. Three runner-ups. Mm. Nine championship games since 08. So that's, that's nine in 12 years. Mm. Well, it'd be 13, right? Almost. 13. Well, yes. no, it'd actually be 14 because the next one would be 2023. That'd be. True, 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 true. But no, 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 no. He went 13. there. He started in 08, so he missed the 08 championship. championship yeah, they didn't opportunity. Even, yeah, they, okay, so yeah, 13. 13, yeah. So th- that's incredible as a program to have two Hall of Fame, probably greatest coaches of all time <sighs> in their history. Now, they had some periods like they were the whipping boy for a while through there. I mean, I say that their bad years might be seven wins, but they've had some crazy history. Um, I won't go into before in between Bear Bryant and Saban, but um, man, when that's a prime example, like with Texas, when you get the coaching hire right, tradition always comes back. And don't forget that mm. tradition always comes back when you get the coaching hire right. And I'm talking about the traditions of USC, a Texas. And Oklahoma, Ohio State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Michigan. When you get the coach right, tradition always comes back. 
because there is a passionate fan base there that have high expectations. And I'll even say teams like Ole Miss and Arkansas that are in that just down from A&M. They've never really had a winning tradition. They were – I mean, Arkansas all-time has owned them. We spend a conference with them. And those are – we beat them every year just about historically. Um, it's only since they've got into the SEC and got away from Texas. That's why they fought to get away, to not let Texas in the SEC. Mm. They know recruiting is going to take a hit. Texas will get the number one recruiting class now. Watch when they come in. Yeah, but I don't know if they have – I don't think there's, there's really anything holding Texas back now. They're not in the SEC. Recruiting. Maybe. Maybe that could be uh, a hindrance. I'm not sure, though. Texas I, is you one could be of right the hotbeds for recruiting. Yeah. Florida, Texas, uh, Pennsylvania area. That was, surpri- that was surprising to me. I didn't realize how much Texas A&M cares about football until they hired Jimbo Fisher to see. I didn't realize that their stadium seats 100,000. I didn't realize it that used they, to not. I mean, it, that's fairly recent, last 20 years that they've done all these expansions. And but. around that time, it was shown that they're also the most profitable as far as with donors and stuff like that program. A lot of oil money. And all of college football. Texas A&M, like what, what kind of tradition is there? I don't remember them winning anything. Well, as far as athletic department, Texas has the most. They, they had their own channel. Uh, they were, I remember, they were well over a hundred million a year athletic department when Alabama might be in the eighties, right? So, A and M is up there too. They just have a lot of. There is a special. I have a nephew that graduated from A and M. You know, they get a ring when they graduate. There, you see those rings everywhere. There's a tra- there's a there's a, a heavy tradition of just pride in the A and M program. They can never get over the hump though. Now. They just got the number one recruiting class. They've got a coach that obviously can win a national title. He did at Florida State with uh, Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston. Um, he's a little bit, to me, though, like fool's gold. He, to me, he doesn't really fit there, in my opinion. I don't know where he fits, but he is a Saban disciple. You know, he's learned from him, and they've had some, you know, issues in the offseason. But A&M, if they can get – they got the money. They've got the support. Not a better tradition in football. Arkansas plays them, you know, in that Southwest Classic. It's a throwback to the Southwest Conference days. You go to a game with A&M, and, you know, Arkansas has some cool cheers. You know, woo, pig suey and all that. A&M has cheers throughout the – cool. <laughs> it is when you're a fan. <laughs> It, I, no, wait a minute. This is from a guy who's something about hotty toddy, gosh almighty. <laughs> I, hey, I don't. Gosh almighty? Come on. Well, that's, that's the PG version of it. Well, yeah, but yeah. okay. <laughs> don't let me throw you off. No, here. but nothing compares to A&M and their cheers. Now, they don't have cheerleaders. They have yell leaders. They have like the weird diamond signs and stuff. If you've ever been in a game, I don't. I know you guys are playing like Troy this weekend. Not yeah. Nobody ranked, right. you know, most good teams were playing ranked teams this weekend. But A&M will have cheers throughout the entire game, like a soccer, like a European soccer thing. Yeah. it's Nobody has that. It and, and I'm not an A&M fan. I'm just – no one – they stay active in a game and loud throughout the entire the game. The whole time. Like nobody's business. And that's impressive. You get 100-plus thousand doing that. Scary. It, well, it's intimidating, and you – 
to, for a team like Mississippi State to beat them, wasn't it down there last year? Yes, on the yes. road. That was shocking. Crazy. And I've told you this. I told you this before we started this. Beware of Leach in his third and fourth year. He's coming into year three. Traditionally, history, why do we study history? So we don't repeat mistakes in the past. But you also study history to see what's coming in the future. Mm. Right? Well, I've studied Leach. The guy's been is an innovator. The NFL runs his offense now. Right? His his little coaching tree and player tree that has drifted now in the coaching game, he's influenced offense probably more than anybody. Yeah, probably so with a lot of passes in the game and stuff. Yeah. On that point about Texas A and M fan base though, real quick. Yeah. So I went to the Texas A&M Ole Miss game. Uh, I believe it was a sellout crowd. This was 2021 when we won Oxford. at Oxford. They had probably about 10,000 fans there. Yeah. Whole time. Impressive. The whole time. They're, they're all looking down at this one dude who's in some, some really tight army suit. It's not like uh, the military. It's like he, like he works at a filling station <laughs> back in the day in the 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, Fill her up, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing, he's doing this um, – Weird thing with his hands and ah, ah, ah and he's clapping yeah. and stuff. They're all everybody is looking at him. So in the commercial breaks and stuff, they're all looking at him and they're all repeating the same thing just constantly. They're down by like fifteen at the time, yeah. and they're still doing it. Like you people need to stop. Well, you know, like most teams, we have our little, you know, howdy, howdy, gosh, I'm out of here. Who the heck are we? You know, whatever. And then it's over, and you kind of sit down, or yeah. you oh, at the kickoff pig, so yeah. whatever, and everybody sits down. Or you call the hogs at the Razorback game a couple times, three times throughout the game. You better do it first quarter because after third quarter, you know. <laughs> <laughs> True. No, but the the it, they are impressive. I have to just give them their props. There's not a team the the cheers. You know, they teach the freshman class all the cheers. Like they have classes to prepare them for the cheers. So they know what's going on. That's impressive. And another great tradition that's no longer going on is the Texas Texas A&M Thanksgiving game. And the big – you remember the big bonfires they would have the night before what at year was midnight? That? Well, when, when A&M and Texas always played, that was – they were in the same conference. Even in the Big 12, when they went to the Big 12 together and the SWC went under and all that and – the night before the big Texas and Texas A&M game at home. Now, no, no, wait a minute. Every game, I think, they would build a huge – A&M fans would build a huge bonfire. Look it up, Cole. What year did the bonfire collapse and kill students? Oh, my This gosh. bonfire could be see, seen from, like, the space shuttle, right? I mean, this was thing was huge. And they stopped, they stopped building the bonfire – it, they had certain like classes that senior class would build it, and this they they would prepare for this for months. Nineteen ninety nine Aggie bonfire collapse. Yeah, at but, approximately two forty two on November eighteenth, nineteen ninety nine, an annual Aggie bonfire yes, collapsed huge. during its construction, killing twelve people. Dude, this is not wow. a bonfire, a little bonfire. This is like saw logs from big trucks. They would l- stack up to the sky. And it could be seen from everywhere, and they would have a, a cheer rally. Worship service. It was like, yeah, Moloch or something going on down there. But, no, it was like cheer, uh, a big, you know, pep rally around this bonfire. And it was a huge tradition. Every class tried to outdo the one before, right? And it, you know, it, 
59 foot high. Yeah. Consisting of about 5,000 logs. Crazy. And they stacked it like a, like a little puzzle thing, Jenga type thing. And they would light it with fuel and there it'd go. So 58 people were building it, teachers and students, former students. And 12 died, 27 injured. So half of them at least injured. What's that, uh, 20% that died from this? Yeah, so that was a huge tradition. And then from then on, they had they could do it, I think. Rescue operations took 24 hours. Yeah. Horrible. Um, they could make it, I think. I don't know if they suspended it a year or two, but then they could make it in a smaller version, you know, to keep their tradition alive. But another thing about that tradition, we're getting off the subject a little bit, but, you know, Bevo, the big longhorn for Texas, the reason the name is Bevo, here's the history behind that. The A&M student body stole Bevo or, or snuck in or something and branded the previous year's score on his side it was 13 to dash zero well the texas folks just made bevo out of that rebranded it over the 13 so on the side of that big old original longhorn it said bevo but it was 13 dash zero the previous year score so there's a lot of hate there that's one of those traditions that you would love to see come back and it will when texas enters the sec that's hilarious what a funny story. Yeah. Poor Longhorn. Everybody hates the Longhorns except the Longhorns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just wait. And, that, and that's because Texas has always kind of held the bully pulpit type. They always kind of ran the show. You know, they were always the power source. And they kind of bullied people, I think. Who's that? Court? Sam, um, Sam Ellinger. This is so silly. 2019, Sam Ellinger, Texas Longhorns beat Georgia in um, the Sugar Bowl. And Sam Ellinger, after the game, goes, Texas fans, we're back. Yeah. Little do you know, buddy, you're not back, but Georgia's back. Yeah. You just woke up the sleeping giant who go on to win a bunch of games and a national championship, and Texas is still mediocre. Yeah. Texas, I, I did see, though, they recruited, and I think they paid – you can look at the NIL deal. They got the number one recruiting offensive line this past year. And any coach will tell you that coaches football, when you get your offensive line right, they'll be looking for them in the next two or three years as they enter. They'll have to get rid of Sarkeesian. They have to. I don't know. Sarkeesian is not that man. He may not be. And, and he, but be, but be, be careful that they don't go get a offer a Brinks truck for somebody like Kiffin. Seriously. You get somebody that's a good coach with the tradition and the money and the ability to go get a top. I think I heard they paid over a million dollars in NIL money for this offensive line. I mean, they got like four or five stars across the board. Could you explain that to me? How did they pay for an offensive Boosters. See, that's my my issue with the NIL program. It's boosters. Arkansas has a big – but every school now, like the Hunt family that has J.B. Hunt trucking, they started – it's called A something C. It's a, it's it's a, like community service type organization. It's basically the ability for players to get signed on to their organization, yep. to go out and do good things in the community at the children's hospital and do this. And then for their services, they can legally pay them. 
It's 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 legal. It's it's like Jimbo said at A and M. It's what we've been doing forever. Now it's just out in the open and legal. He said that. He said that quote. So we don't have to call Ole Miss cheaters now. Let's give them back their sugar bowl. Hey, give give Reggie Bush, who would be one of my all time uh, favorite players, uh, give Reggie Bush's Heisman back because that's exactly what was give going it back on. to him. He had two hundred fifty thousand, which would be chump change compared to what kids are getting now. The Alabama quarterback right now has over a million dollar deal. That's that's silly. It, it holds them maybe away from the NFL, helps them make that decision. It's ruined the integrity of the recruiting. Well, but, as long as everybody can do it. Well, I mean, I agree. It's 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 not good for the amateur game, but let's just call it what it is. It's like a G League for the NFL. Yeah. That's all it is. Yeah. Really, though, too, everybody was doing it, too. Ole Miss just got caught. Or Ole Miss was – they didn't do it right. They did it, yeah, didn't do it carefully. sloppy. But to your point on Texas, I, if – Sarkeesian, I – would not be surprised if Sarkeesian has a seven and five year this year. And he if he does, if he does, he gone. Short leash, yeah. And I would believe that Kiffin would go to Texas at that point. They're let gonna me, put the money. Let me tell you, almost everybody I I, I, I may be speaking because if you may not pull for the Razorbacks, but when people play Texas, like last year Arkansas beat Texas at home. Everybody loves it. Oh my gosh. It's it's such a they they have a, a a view of themselves that is it's like so out of touch. They still think of themselves, and they were, and they can be again, a great, great power. They were a great power in the 60s and 70s. Um, Texas is that dude at the podcast that says, hey, how about we talk about myself? Yeah. <laughs> Let's but talk about how good I was. I don't care who, if Texas is playing – I think Arkansas was playing LSU last year, and there was a Razorback fan. The camera panned over, and he did the hook down. <laughs> I mean, it just comes out of nowhere. And now think about they 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 can call a penalty if you do a hook them. Did you see that? If a player does that in the field. That's so silly. And, like, it just means we beat, you know. It's about like doing a land shark thing. on Which a they call penalties on that now if an opposing team doesn't. But I've noticed, though, they don't hold to that. For one, it's hard to catch. Referee's already having to see so many things on the field. Number two, if I'm a referee, I'm like, dude, he just got a sack. They don't want the game to get out of control. Um, it's 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 kind of funny. The point is, I agree with you. Texas could be a scary team. They have the resources at their fingertips for that. But I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. They're going to have to get the coach right. I don't know who that's going to be. But let's – back in 2010, 2010 – Texas offered Saban 10 per. He's not even making – he's barely making – I think he just got a new contract extension that makes him 11 per year. This was 2010. They offered him 10 per year, like a 10-year deal, like like Jimbo got. I think he had $7 million per year yeah. for 10. But this was 2010, 10 per to get him away from Alabama, and he turned them down. That's per Paul Feinbaum. Mm. He was off – he did, a you know, some – had some sources that told him that they felt very confident in. Uh, so Texas can pay anything. And that's what, you know, if you have a coach that's good and you're, you're I don't think a guy like a Sam Pittman, cause he's just never been, you know, he may win, win, win and get to the point where everybody wants him, but he's one of those guys. He just kind of fits at Arkansas. He's just got that. I don't know. He doesn't have the, the Saban tradition or the, uh, even even a 
Kiffin, uh, you know, everybody knows about him, and he's kind of the hot, flashy guy. Uh, he, he won't. He wouldn't do that if he was very successful. I don't think. But if you have somebody, Kiffin, um, I, you know, I don't think Kirby would because Kirby's a is that guy. But somebody very, very talented as a coach, if he gets offered, um, let's put it in today's money, fifteen per. And Texas could could do that or double it if they wanted to. Um, you'd have to. They could steal your coach. They have that money. Texas, they they if they get the coaching hire right, they will be back because they will recruit the state of Texas. If you can get the best players out of Texas, you're set. Set. Everybody goes to Texas. Yeah. Nebraska made their living in the in the heyday by going to Texas and getting players. That's the unfortunate side of football. You can be in the top conference in the nation, the best conference. SEC. What is the best division in the best conference? SEC West. No doubt. You can be in that and still get outpaid. And, or still get out-advantaged by other lessers because you don't have as much money. Put Ole Miss and Arkansas in the Big 12 in the past. You're going to really compete against a handful of teams. Because we've gone – I say we. Arkansas has gone and played a Kansas State in a bowl game and just handled them. Recently. Um You'd have Oklahoma. You'd have to dealt with Texas. Still um, manageable games, though. Arkansas played Texas last year and, and handled them. I, my point is, the SEC West is beyond brutal. Uh, Ole Miss could have a great team as of last year. What would that team have done in, in the ACC? Think about it. Last year, especially. Yeah, I said when yeah. Pitt, Pitt won it. Pitt yeah. won it last. And Pitt's a good team. I, you know, they just beat West Virginia, but it's West Virginia. It's not – you're not playing through a gauntlet. And, and everybody will say, yeah, but I have a family member who will say, yeah, SEC's not – everybody is top-heavy. It's not – it's not – yes, at times it can be top-heavy. The problem is go go to Death Valley and then turn around and go into Oxford, and then you host a game against Auburn. Yeah. And it's just the weekend, week out the, – the, the physical breakdown of your players, if you don't have depth, it will expose you. And then, for instance, Arkansas fans, anybody listening it's Arkansas fan, let's just imagine if you lose KJ at quarterback this year or in the past you lost a Matt Jones at quarterback. Well, Alabama can replace it with a four- or five-star kid mm. that's just waiting to come in, the next Tua, the next whomever. Um, depth is everything. And – this league makes you have to stack some kids up. The other leagues, they have some good teams, a Clemson. But Clemson has – they have a cake schedule when you look at Always. their league. Yeah, Always so do. People want to say, well, Clemson is probably one of the best teams of all time. No, I don't give them that. Can they beat Bama? Obviously they have. But talk to me after they've run the gauntlet of the SEC. Mm. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. And it just it, – the, the saying is it just means more. It, it's true. There's such an emphasis on recruiting the best athletes. Look at the NFL. Look where they come from. Heavy SEC. Heavy. Heavy. So, in the NFL, you'll have heavy SEC with a heavy Ohio State. You know, everybody and their mama in the NFL is from Ohio State in some way. Ohio or is related State. to somebody that is not from Ohio State could win State. the SEC, obviously, Yes. 
easily. But they, it's not as easy but they, for them. They recruit like an SEC team. Yeah, they do. I mean, the Notre Dames of the world who obviously get pumped up every year and they're in the top ten every year because of the writers and the people who vote are in those areas in the Midwest and East. They just – that's a great fan base, the, uh, Notre Dame. They have a great fan base. The The thing about it is when they play in Alabama in the championship game and, and Eddie Lacy runs crazy o- over, you know – 35. Yeah, it's zero. like – it's not even – okay, guys, any questions? <laughs> You know, it's not even close because there's a recruiting difference. Yeah. I, people get mad. Oh, you're being unfair to all these teams. You're being unfair to Cincinnati. They went undefeated. Let them in. Oh, okay. Sure. Let's let them in. And you see what happens. It's not fun to watch. Well, and I will, I will, last year's Cincinnati team, um, Luke Fickle's a great coach. He is. Um, they did beat Notre Dame at South Bend which was impressive. They handled them. They had several guys. I want to say six guys go to the first round or go to the NFL draft last year, several, two or three first six. round potentially, potentially. I don't think they had any first rounders, but close. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, so a lot of pro players, that's, that's Cincinnati, right? I mean, they've always had a decent program. So I didn't mind them, and that's why I kind of like this expansion. They would definitely should be in the top 12 of, a you know, Get your top two, maybe top two SEC teams or three, whatever. Go get the Big Ten. Go get the Pac-12s. Go get your Big 12s, ACC guys. And then you have a handful of people still left over, like that maybe you think, you know what, that Boise team that went 11-0, and that they've been playing people like, you know, Grandma State and different teams <laughs> like that, you know. And you're, the, yeah, and you're like, should they really be there? But you know what, there's 12, sure, okay. Let's see it be fun. Let them in. The problem, too, is, and and for them, I don't want to just be totally negative about them. I personally don't like seeing teams like that in the playoff. But for, in, in defense of them, you, you let them slip up and make it to a Fiesta Bowl, and you see what they do. They beat Oklahoma, and then that kind of shuts the critics up. Well, or like UCF. UCF, for example. I know that it's kind of silly, and they pulled the whole – liberal i live in my own own world type i I can define who i am myself and i i'm the national champions yeah you know that was so silly but you're everybody in america is like okay no they should not be in these big games but give them a good bcs bowl and let them play a good auburn team who by the way beat alabama that year yeah and they handle them and then that that shuts the critics up what do you do you you missed out on or you took an opportunity away from this team and sometimes that's a little mis-saving because, like last year, Arkansas beat Penn State in the uh, – what bowl was that? Down in Tampa. Like the, the no. Cheeto Bowl or something. <laughs> well, Arkansas, they like Traylon Burks didn't play, but Penn State had several that didn't play. Oh, it was fair game. Yeah, I mean, it, was, it was fair game for you sure. You know, but I thought, you know, you're not – it's not like the beginning of the year Penn State or the beginning of the year Arkansas – both teams had guys out. Sometimes in these, I guarantee you, UCF didn't have one kid out when they played Auburn. I don't know how many Auburn kids set out and didn't play. That's true. But I bet there were some. And you have in in, in, in Auburn's defense, and I am no defender of Auburn, but in Auburn's defense, when you beat Bama and you don't get to the playoffs like you're wanting to, you're a little – it was UCF Super Bowl. Yeah. And so – and I'm not taking anything away. You did a great job. 
UCF back in the day. But great job. You beat Auburn in a, in a bowl game. Now go play LSU and then go play, you know, Alabama. Go play that West. Go into Fayetteville and play Arkansas that just half ticked off. Yeah. You know, it just it's tough to do it week in, week out. That's a good point. That's a really good point. That's a good correction. And that, you know, I that changes what I said to McElroy. I'm looking it up. McElroy said this. If a national championship was on the line, Auburn would have played a whole lot better. It's true. Because they're all the marbles on the table. You're depressed. We, they had a two they wanted to be the first two lost team in the playoffs. So let us lace up with Alabama. They lace up with Alabama, beat them. And then they get uh, the short end of the stick when it comes to playoffs. And yeah. so at that point, you know, UCF is trying to prove that they should have been in there. And Auburn is like, look, we know we should have been there, but we missed out. Uh, you don't give the 100%. You're not as, look, I'm going to show UCF something here. They're going in going, man, let's go play this bowl game. Yeah. And UCF is like, we're fixing to shock the world by yeah. beating a SEC team. Totally understandable. Yeah. Um. So I'm try- I'm tempted. Should we talk about when we talk about the classic players? Should we try to list best player of all time, or just classic player? You know, when I was when I was thinking about the the great players of old, again, you have to go modern era. Um, you know, if you do a Google search, they'll bring up Jim Thorpe, who was a great you know athlete, you know Olympian, but Jim Thorpe today. Size, speed, all you know may not be the same <laughs> comparison. Kind of like comparing baseball players, you know, it's or any type of sport. It's just different now. The great high jumper of the twenties, nineteen twenties versus the high jumper today. Come on, they did a different flop. They did a you know different jump style. But I I kind of go back to. Seems like they're always Heisman Trophy winners. They were a great college player that just you know, made the impact, right? So, for me, the guy, and it's debatable, 1A, 1B, but to me, Bo Jackson, who not only played college football at a high level, won the Heisman Trophy, um, played college baseball, went on to play, and get this, he wasn't only an all-pro, all-star game guy, or football, NFL. He also played professional baseball and was an all-star at that sport too. Only guy ever to do that in his career in the – get this, he comes back after he has hip replacement surgery and plays professional baseball for the rest of his career. Nobody is like Bo Jackson. Which, by the way, that's a hip <laughs> That's a hip injury that they say you can't come back from. Tua had a similar one. Um, just- yes, and, of course, this was the 80s. Their surgeries are totally different, yeah. right? And he actually, when he hurt himself, you can watch. It's he was playing for Oakland. He runs around the left end. He they said he actually his strength pulled the muscle from the hip area, so he developed necrosis in that socket ball and socket in the hip. So he had to have it replaced. Mm. But the back in the day, now I mean, we hear hip replacements every day now, right? Oh, everybody he got a hip replacement, hip replacement. Guys, this is the 80s, and he came back and played professional baseball at a high level. And we're talking about two totally different sports. Only one other guy did it is Deion Sanders. Yep. Played for Cincinnati Reds and 
also play for um, Atlanta Falcons. Hey, Danny, speaking of that real quick, Danny and I were talking about, um, I told him where I got the phrase um, that I'm saying. So I always say, CD and T8 or D2 coming at you live and direct from the classic cast. We're, <laughs> I try to talk like Deion Sanders. On Prime, time. Like, Prime, time. Prime time. Hey, and, and so I explained it to him, and then I told him what you told me last year about Deion Sanders. So he plays in a playoff. No, he plays in a football game. Yeah, one playoff football games. game. Mm-hmm. And then he gets on a plane that day and plays in a playoff baseball game. Did he score a touchdown and hit a home run in that same day? I cannot remember what all he did. That seems accurate. I do know, and I mentioned it, it is a thirty for thirty on ESPN. If you want to watch it, uh, it talks about this. Uh, the guy was incredible uh, at Florida State. What he did, he could, he, he was a most electric punt returner. And I can't remember if he was a kickoff returner or not, but the guy was. I mean, he literally uh, when he when he ran his uh, NFL combine, he pulled up in a limousine. Did not stretch. Got out, ran a four two some odd forty. Did not stretch. He, limousine pulls up. He gets out. He goes out to the field. They had it timed perfectly. Somebody he had a handler there. Somebody going, okay, it's time. And he gets out of the deal. He comes out, hits the line, bang, four two seven or whatever. Crazy four two nine, fastest NFL combine ever recorded. That is crazy. I mean, Primetime looks like he could still play. And let me tell you. He does look like he's he still He still, I mean, he, yes, super, he could, he super could, athlete. He could go play football at Arkansas Tech right now easily. <laughs> easily. So he's not in the Hall of Fame. I, I was mistaken. I told Danny, I, I wasn't dogmatic. I was willing to be corrected. But I told him that he was in Hall of Fame football and baseball. But that's wrong. He, I looked it up. He was inducted in both the college football and pro football in 2011. Okay. So he's not a Hall of Fame baseball player, but he's still in the major leagues. I mean, come on now. Well, like you say, it's a different sport. I mean, baseball is a, it's a hand-eye sport. It's, it's, uh, you know, you can be, I've always said when, when you're one of your greatest players was Babe Ruth, you, you could pop up six-pack of beer and eat hot dogs the night before and go play, you know. <laughs> and that you, you don't have to be the greatest athlete in the world, but it helps. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> you see these big guys, you know, out there playing, oh, he's the greatest ever, and he looks like he's got, you know, yeah. Dunlap disease. His belly's Every- Dunlapped his belt, you know. <laughs> you know. Every time they make it on base, they have to have a pinch runner. Yes, out of breath. Get it. I mean, come on. No, but super hand-eye coordinated skill sport, a lot like golf. His belly has You'll see fat guys playing belt. golf, right? And yeah. Good. And you're like, man. Phil Mickelson. John Daly. Great. I mean, God, God he would go out and drink uh, heavy alcohol in play, you know, in, in a rain delay and go back and finish. You know, that's you can't do that in football or basketball. Cannot at all. Even Probably baseball, <laughs> but really, uh, really every other. Which, by the way, my cousin was a college baseball player. He said the baseball training was harder than any football training he had. He said, "I think it's changed today." Yeah, think about the greats of all. Definitely, you know? yeah. definitely has changed today. Um, man, he he was a great baseball player, and he contemplated quitting. The practices were so hard. Dang. But uh, yeah, you don't see a lot of fat guys anymore playing baseball. They used to. You'd see them all over the place. You don't see them on. Um, Definitely don't see him on the Ole Miss National Championship. 
Shut up. <laughs> twenty twenty two national champions. Oh. Um, so I posted while we're talking, I posted on my Facebook and I said the season's upon us. Who is the greatest college football player of all time? And I'm not gonna mention his name, but one of my friends says Tim Tebow, obviously. What would you say about He's that? He's on my list. Uh, no, we're talking college. Is that priority? No, no, no. Least great. No, uh, my list. If I just read Could it, could you send me a picture of that? Yeah, my list. If I if I just uh, read it, um, would be Herschel, um, and it's not in any order, but it may be a little top heavy with these guys. Um, let me send this to Mr. Cole real quick, um, or I forget. But Herschel, and then I've got uh, Bo. Okay, and then I've got got here. Oh, the reason, like I say, Bo because of his he he. Oh, by the way, Bo Jackson forgot to mention he also ran track in college. So did Herschel. Herschel ran for I believe uh, sprinted for the Olympic team if I remember. I'd have to double check. I know he ran track for Georgia. Tim Tebow because he was a three time nominated Heisman Trophy winner. And he only won it once. So Tim Tebow was nominated three times. Three times. Um, Barry Sanders, 88 Heisman winner. And I'll say this with an asterisk, best running back all time, hands down. Barry Sanders? Barry Sanders. Mm. He, he doesn't have the uh, Emmett Smith all-time rushing record. Barry Sanders played for Oklahoma State. And was unbelievable. And it, he played for Detroit in the NFL. And watch his highlights. If he had the cowboy line that Emmett ran behind. Emmett, was, Emmett could not hold his athletic gear. I'm just telling you. Barry Sanders is, is a magician running the ball. What he did by those, behind those lines at Detroit were amazing. 3,062 carries. 15,269 yards. That's five-yard average if you're counting. That's a He averaged 6.6 in college per carry. 352 catches for 2,921 yards, which, by the way, an all-purpose back is rare in that time. Um, he seemed to be an all-purpose back. Scored 109 touchdowns. Yeah, I mean. Let me tell you, the reason he didn't probably win it more than once, he was behind another all-pro guy. Thurman Thomas, who played for the Bills, went to four Super Bowls. He came in behind him. So he and guess who their running back coach was? Another Arkansas tie, Houston Nutt. Really? Jimmy Johnson head coach. Makes sense though, because Houston Nutt had a knack for recruiting running backs. Felix Jones. Oh. DMAC. Um, DMAC. Hillis. Hillis, DMAC. Yeah. All on the same team. Yeah. Yeah. I I purposely did not put any Arkansas things on mine today because I would be slanted to say yeah. if the greatest game or one of the highlight games in classic would be the seven overtime Arkansas miss against Eli Manning. Yeah. Matt Jones didn't even hardly play that game until overtime. He was a true freshman. Crazy. Watch the highlights of that game. You it'll exhaust you. I didn't think it would ever end. But anyway, um, That's something we could talk about, too, just the Ole Miss-Arkansas rivalry. Yeah, and it's become – I never considered that a rivalry rivalry because in the SWC days as a kid, it was always Texas and A&M that you couldn't stand and you wanted to beat. And let me tell you, the team of the SWC, real quick, that 
the first 30 for 30 that was ever done was called Pony XS, about the Pony Express. Eric Dickerson, uh, uh, what was uh, Eric Dickerson and James, what was the first guy's name? James. Anyway, two running backs. But this was the where they out and out boosters are just paying cash money to get these players at SMU back in the 83 season, 82-83, and put them on the death penalty. NCAA put them on the death penalty because they cheated so bad. And they went from couldn't beat anybody to just blowing Texas off the map. I mean, unbelievable. But anyway, that's a great 30 for 30 if you ever want to watch a good thir- uh, documentary on college football. Um, but the Arkansas Ole Miss was never really – it was always a game. And to be perfectly on- honest, Arkansas – Typically won that game. Arkansas had a great program through the 60s and 70s, and then Ken Hatfield went to two Cotton Bowl back-to-back. That was our that was our bowl game for the SWC. I don't know what the all-time is, but through those years, Arkansas it was typically a win on the schedule. Not all the time. Ole Miss won some. But um, it, was, it wasn't a game that I liked. Oh, man, it was always one I thought, they're in the SEC – it was kind of an our conference versus their conference mentality. But it was typically, I'll tell you another game like that for Arkansas was Oklahoma State back in the day. It was a win, counted as a win. It was kind of crazy. Mm. Arkansas went through some doldrums, though, went through some down periods and couldn't even beat SMU, couldn't beat Memphis, couldn't beat anybody until, like, Nut came. It was just crazy. We Something just, about Houston Nutt really revamped. He's like the revivalist pastor who you people, don't want to keep him around long term. But he, <laughs> well, his, hey, oddly enough, his nickname is the Right Reverend Houston Dale Nutt. That's pretty fitting. Let me tell you something. You have one game to go play. Give me Houston Nutt. And you you need your team pumped up pregame? Give me Houston Nutt. There's no one can deliver a pregame speech like him. Mm. I, he – they recorded his speech before uh, his first year in 98. Uh, opening conference game was Alabama in Fayetteville. And that's this famous speech where he says, guys, you hear that? And they're out there, pig suey. You know, you hear the crowd just swelling. Pig suey, pig suey. And he said, man, you hear that? And he's pointing out there. He said, this is for you, man. This for you, every mama, every daddy, and little boy, and little daughter sitting around the TV tonight watching this game. He said they want you to beat the mighty Alabama, you know. And he's That'll getting them going. Oh, and he said there's a lot of lions, tigers, and bears, but there's only one Razorback man. Come on, now go out there and take it. That's I mean, they, so they just good. go roaring out, and they beat them forty-two to eleven. <sighs> Crazy score, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, you have, but over time, you got to maintain that. And and you got to build it with fundamentals and tackling yeah. and this that and recruiting and he couldn't quite do that. But if you have everything in place and you brought in that revival preacher to come in and yes, preach sir. that one sermon, he's that guy. Yes, sir. Uh, and he did it at Ole Miss, and you saw that. Oh man, Dester I, oh, you got Dester McCluster, and you had uh, who all did you have? Uh, uh, who was that Wildcat quarterback you had there? Javin Sneed. Well, Sneed was but the Dexter main, McCluster. McCluster. Was the, he was the the Wildcat. they call it the Wild Rebel. Right. And I'm talking – Oh, I, that's a whole other story I'd like to get into. I gotta, he claims credit for it, and he did Oh, no. no. i got to pay my respect to, to Houston Nutt. So, as I'm coming up, um, Ole Miss is a laughing stock when I'm coming up. We can't – at the very least, we can't say Ole Miss is a laughing stock right now. No. Over the past decade, decade and a half, we've had a lot of success. We're, we're better than 90% of Big Ten, Big 12 
ACC Pac-12 teams. Agreed. For sure. Agreed. Um, and, but the reason is, had nothing to do with Ed Ogeron. Ed Ogeron has made Ole he, Miss a laughing well, stock. Well, I would pause and say he did recruit fairly well. But he did nothing with it. Look, look, you can go, as a cook, you can go to the grocery store and get the groceries. But if you can't prepare the meal, it doesn't matter. Best he did He did go get the groceries. He got them? He couldn't. Yeah, he had. He got McCluster. He got those guys. Eli? Yes. He just couldn't prepare the meal. Couldn't do nothing with it. Go ahead with your story, all. though. They were a laughing stock, man. Houston Nutt comes in, which is a rare jump. SEC West to SEC West, hmm. which, by the way, was Arkansas to SEC West at that point. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he jumps to Ole Miss. He brings in a team that has no special recruiting. They had some players. We paid him $3 million to leave. Really? Yes. Uh, he, he, had, he had jumped the shark, as they say. Mm-hmm. They were flying planes with banners saying, fire Houston Nut. And you. he's a beloved son of the state. Yeah. Played at Arkansas. Which Ole Miss did something similar to him because he went like over in the SEC play his last year. But Go ahead. Whoever comes after Houston Nutt is Hugh Freeze. So, I mean, yep. ever since Houston Nutt, I don't care how he went out. I don't care if he was potentially a money rat trying to rack up all the buyout fees and stuff. He he's he's a special player in my or a special coach in my mind with with my beloved team. He revitalized. He revitalizes. I remember going to Ole Miss number six LSU at Oxford. Very first handoff, Dexter McCluster takes it off for like 50 yards, get caught right at the very end. We win 23-25 to 25 because Les Miles did Les Miles things. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't run out the kicking kicking unit. You got to love Les Miles. Got to love, love him for it. stuff like that. So, just so special to me. Won two Cotton Bowls against Oklahoma State. Yes, I watched those. Brought in some really good players. I pulled for, I, I pulled for Houston Nutt. Um, Except when he played the Hogs, and he came into Fayetteville and beat Arkansas too. After he left, yeah, uh, that's when uh, Petrino was there, and that was a fun time. If we're talking Razorbacks and stuff, having Petrino, um, unbelievable coach, uh, not a great, probably great person. I think he's probably learned a lot since then. He's had some humbling moments, uh, but he revived. He was our Houston Nut, Houston Nut, and then Petrino back to back. Houston Nut took us to heights. And it collapsed. Uh, he had Gus. He brought Gus Malzahn in as offensive coordinator. Out really? Of, oh yeah, that's, at Arkansas. Yeah, oh six. I didn't realize that we had McFadden, Hillis. We had uh, we had uh, uh, um, oh the other running back you just said a while ago, Felix uh, Jones. Felix Jones. Peyton Hillis, a Conway native, by the way. Yes, he is. Um, great player. Great player. Uh, was on the cover of Madden. Um, Cleveland Browns. Um, but yeah, Houston could recruit uh, running backs. But anyway, he um, he um, he took us to great heights and dropped. We we collapsed over time. But he had Malzahn there, and at, right out of high school, because of a big recruiting coup, we had Shallow Christian, right? Um, well, he was at Springdale at that time, oh. and he had the the Springdale Five. You had um, the great. Uh, going off names here, but you had uh, Mitch Mustang at quarterback. You had uh, Damian, uh, what was his last name? Get their guy. But five big-time players, like D1 players out of Springdale High. Uh, Springdale, where Malzahn was, was a machine. I mean, they were good. But anyway, in order to get those kids, he offered Malzahn 
a coaching spot on the team. And Malzahn, I think, from from a mutual friend, Malzahn had said that he would only come as offensive coordinator and he would want full access to do the offense. Well, Houston Nutt was the offensive coordinator. So he agreed to it. But as soon as he got there, he kind of put handcuffs on, uh, on Malzahn and didn't quite let him have his way. Anyway, Malzahn ends up leaving for Tulsa and eventually to, you know, to Auburn as offensive coordinator, then to Arkansas State as head coach, and then back as head coach at Auburn, and now UCF. But anyway, when, when Petrino came in after, after uh, Nutt, he brought Arkansas to a BCS Bowl. He brought Arkansas to a top three. I can remember one Saturday, me and Aaron are in my living room watching the Arkansas-LSU game. Alabama's – get this now. Arkansas's number three in the nation. LSU's number two. And all and uh, Alabama's number one. All SEC? Yes. West. SEC West. West. And we play LSU that day, and they beat us at Death Valley. And so we drop, drop on down. But at one point, you had one, two, and three. But Petrino had us into this point going to a BCS Bowl against – uh, Ohio State and, you know, playing in big bowl games. Um, got us to a number three ranking at one point until the literal wheels fall off on the motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You were waiting for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a sad thing. And, again, you don't let the essence of an object be ruined by the – pollution that comes to that object you don't let college football be run by men like bobby petrino um so so sad because to give him his due he's probably you talk to the coaches that hear interviews from the coaches that have worked with him and he's not a pleasant guy to work for you're gonna get called things you're gonna get players to get yelled at get called things but um evidently he has a photographic memory he can literally look at a defense on film, mentally imprint that, and and then design plays that will win against that defense. He's that guy. He's got that type of recall ability. It's amazing, and he is a unbelievable field coach. He has been successful whether it's at Louisville, Arkansas. He's 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 ranked right now at Missouri State. They just played UCA of the night. Beat they them. Win. Beat them two touchdowns. They play Arkansas. It won't be an easy game for Arkansas. Uh, because those guys can – he can dial up plays. I think his downfall at Louisville was they practiced offense way too much. He said in practices yeah. they would never practice – or at the very end, at least, they would not practice defense. It only have Lamar Jackson out on the field. He recruits <laughs> to offense. To offense. And you gotta rec- you got to give up scholarship have players to. to defense. Have to. Especially in, in our league. Yes, for sure. Going back, though, to your list on um, the greatest – or the classic players. I want to know why you have Derrick Henry on there. Uh, so let me read your list real quick. Herschel Walker, Bo Jackson, Tim Tebow. Goes without say. We've talked mm-hmm. a ton about him, which we'll mention him again. Barry Sanders, Derrick Henry, Archie Griffin, Cam Newton, Johnny Menzel. The last two that you mentioned are going to be my top three, at least. Johnny Menzel. And Cam I could Newton. expect that uh, talking to Aaron. My era. Yeah, and your age. Yes. And that's, that's who yes. stood out. Right. Uh, what you got to give Archie Griffin the only two-time Heisman Trophy back-to-back winner 
at Ohio State, 1975, maybe 74, 75. I can't remember the exact years. Uh, different, a little bit different era, but that he could play today if he was 20 years old, you know. Um, great running back, great team of the 70s. That would, um, you know, another. they've been a power forever like Michigan in the past and uh, great teams back then. Uh, well, let's, let's um, Derrick Henry is a physical specimen. That's why I have him down there. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. Absolute refrigerator. Uh, he, I've seen high school uh, video of him. It was unfair what he did to kids in high school. I mean, it's borderline child abuse. Yeah. And um, he's just a physical specimen. He can play in any era. Era. Now, future, it doesn't matter. He, Speaking of Lord of the Rings, he's almost like one of those orcs. Really? It, six, three... 225, runs like the wind. Um, incredible. Yeah, glory to God for how he's built because a lot of that's genetics. Um, Absolutely. Crafted by the And he's still guy. playing in the NFL. He's got a new structured deal. Sorry, he's getting $2 million more a year now. Um, he really does look like an orc. Or, the orc high off of <laughs> the way the Yeah, that, that big leader from yeah. in those battles. Yeah. Just the, his build and structure. They also had dreads too. I'm about to send you a picture. <laughs> no, he does. He's he's a it's scary. Uh, it's one of those. I, I I almost think Alabama has a machine that just makes these backs in the was he in that the lab big in high school. Yeah, it, it was it was pitiful what he did to kids in high school. That's uh, which I know that they have a spectacular uh, all of college football. Just their way of being able to build a human being. It's really amazing, but it started with Nebraska. I'm telling you, they, they were the first to build players like that. <laughs> I wouldn't say this guy here. No, that's, I would say the one on the left. Remember the, remember the one scene where he goes, I smell fear. <laughs> remember that? He's that guy, yeah. that big leader. Fear. Yeah. Yeah, so if it's, you're talking The Tolkien, city's full of it. If you're talking Tolkien, an orc is different from the orc high. Okay. Um, Tolkien devotes a whole separate chapter in Twin Towers on the orc high. They're not just an orc. An orc is like an orc is like D two college football player. <laughs> orc high is D one. Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry was orc high then. So you have you have a good list, uh, well defended. Not and listen, not not in any order. If somebody says, give me, let me tell you something. Johnny Menzel. <laughs> Johnny football. I, I hate that he, I mean, he's, I don't know. I think he's got some, a lot of issues off the field. But, he does. But just purely exciting what he did, A&M. And, again, I'm not an A&M fan. But as a, a college fan, you have to watch what he did, his size. He would will his teams to win. Yeah, he would. Amazing. And he you got to respect this about him too. Never shaken. You have players, especially at quarterback, you have a quarterback where you can tell this this kid is obviously nervous. Obviously shaken. Sometimes even the Alabama quarterbacks of old, you look them in the eyes and they were shaken. You look at um Jalen Hurts in the National Championship against Georgia, shaken. Nothing's going his way. That rough, tough Georgia defense just got into his mind. He's yes. shaking. Um, I'm trying to think. 
many of the quarterbacks through the years at, at Arkansas <laughs> shaking all season. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Just yeah. under the Chad Morris regime. Yes. Yes. Or well, those guys, you can't even say they're shaking, ill prepared. Johnny Manziel was never that way. Cool, calm, collected. calm and collected. And yeah. in such a way, he he was cocky. So, he he had this persona where not only was he calm, but he enabled his whole team to be had this swagger about him. Do you remember the run when he goes into Tuscaloosa, and they had him sacked, and he spins out of it, and then makes the touchdown pass. Wow. And he's just almost throwing as he's running sideways. Kind of his legs are kicked up, and he just kind of flicks the ball. Incredible. That's when the whole nation said, well, who is this guy? Who is yeah. this man? Amazing. Yeah, I watched I, him play at Fayetteville. Uh, Arkansas was in a down period, <laughs> as we talk about some. Uh, and he – I sat in the, with some friends, and we watched him destroy Arkansas. It was a drizzly night. It, they literally put 50 on the board. And this was during the Southwest Classic years, but for whatever reason, two years of that thing, they suspended those, you know, Jerry's World, and we went to each other's stadium and played. It was one of those years. He rolled into Fayetteville. I think they beat us 53 to 7. It was ridiculous. I, we, we just got tired and left. He scored. He was out of the game by third quarter. It was pitiful. Yeah. How bad he just dominated, and we couldn't even touch him. The thing about Johnny Manziel that I don't like, if I'm just being neutral is he was the kind of guy that would change the game for the worst it's great to see a Johnny Menzel out there but it's not great to see a bunch of players try to act like Johnny Menzel because there's only one there's only a few Johnny Menzels even people who have Johnny Menzel tendencies who are successful uh, aren't complete imitators of Johnny Menzel you know who he reminds me of um, in the pros it would have been a let me guess oh are you talking about now or in well, the past it's a quarterback of the past, and this guy was not as noted in college, but he became a Hall of Famer in the pros. Just his the gunslinger mentality, it had been Brett Favre. Mm. Brett Favre was not as athletic as him. This guy was Houdini. I mean, he could get out of tackles. Yeah. But Brett Favre was a, that gunslinger, throw it sidearm, whatever you had to do to, you know, throw a pass. But cocky, Brett Favre would – pick with people, and then just throw a zip bullet to somebody, you know, uh, when, I, when I reflect on those guys. so You have somebody who does similar things, not on the level or the scale of Menzel in the pros now is Patrick Mahomes. Mm -hmm. But he's successful not because he can evade things. He's successful because he's got an absolute cannon, and he's brilliant. That's what you're right. What people, especially people who just like to watch the action and don't know the, the strategy of football, in order to be a successful quarterback, you have to be the smartest person on the field. You have to be the smartest person on the field, sometimes even smarter than the coaches. You think of Tom Brady. Do you think Tom Brady at this point is depending on his offensive coordinators? Absolutely not. No, he is the coordinator. He is the smartest person on the field. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes, That you can look at replays. They'll Every now and then they'll point it out in the game. And they'll say, oh, you can tell Patrick Mahomes watching his, watching his film. The defense is in a cover two, which is a two-safety look for those who don't know. But he he could be able to pick up on this cover two that actually that's not a cover two. That is the Oakland Raiders man-to-man -man look with the free safety. And he calls it out, hey, he's not in cover two. He's Sure enough, the safety does exactly what he says, and he's able to throw accordingly. Uh -huh. 
Johnny Manziel couldn't make it because even though he had a cannon, he did have a cannon. He could throw it all the way down the field. He wasn't smart. I mean, he he, he was a gambler. He was a gambler, and that's not smart. He, even the plays. Who was the receiver? Evans. Mike Evans. Mike Evans. Who he plays. would just throw it up at times. That kid would jump up. And yeah. Bail him out. Right. Bail him out. Again, that's a that's a Brett Favre mentality too. He just gunslinger. I can force it in there. I can throw it up. My guy's going to catch it. Yeah, it's okay to have that that um, the gambler handy if you have the IQ to go with it too. But if you don't have the IQ, it's just not going to last. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. Gambler. Yeah, too. <laughs> is that a song or some <laughs> poem? I think that's a poem. I think it is. <laughs> Which, by the way, what time do you have to leave? Um, okay, good. Um, let's go back real quick to um, the classic football teams, and this is where we'll I've, – I've got a yeah, I want to talk about – I feel like Nebraska needs some – for the younger crowd out there, like yourself, some, some perspective. I mentioned a little bit about Tom Osborne. Um, Tom Osborne, or however you want to say it. Um, what they 70 71 back to back championships, and again, that's getting close to not the modern era. I get that. Uh, Johnny Rogers in 71 wins the Heisman, great running back. Uh, for uh, that was pre Tom Osborne. He came in, I think, in 73 and coached up until 2000 and some odd, like 30-something years. Again, Tom Osborne's last five years, he's 60-3. and three, Playing Texas, playing great Oklahomas. Um, that 95, I, I would challenge you to go to YouTube, watch the 95 – 96 season, there was a, um, it's the 96, let me make sure I get this right. It's the 96 Fiesta Bowl. Lawrence Phillip at running back, played in the pros. He was a not a great character. Got arrested for hitting his girlfriend or something. A beast at running back. Tommy Frazier quarterback, and they ran the option out of the eye formation. Back keeper, guy could run. They beat Spurrier's Florida team, who the next year wins the national title. This is the undefeated SEC champion, 62-24. And there's no one on that team just except big, corn-eating, offensive line, hay-hauling, strong, and Tommy Frazier has a run in that game where they have him wrapped up and he won't go down and he scores. Lawrence Phillips looks like an orc. Like you're or, – or what do you call it, Yeah. He's an orc Him and Derrick Henry, uh, he might be, you know, Derrick Henry's dad or something. I don't know. That guy was a beast. I think ended up, like I say, getting into some trouble later on in the pros. I think he played for the maybe the Rams. But Lawrence Phillip, Phillips is a beast in this game. And probably my favorite, one of my favorite teams ever in college football, just to, as far as watching that game and seeing the physical dominance against a great Florida team. 
I'm talking about, you know, the Doreen guy who's on SEC Network now, the receiver, he's in that game, does well. They they get dominated. Dominated. This is the fun and gun Florida Gators. That, that, I mean, you had, I think, um, his D coordinator was um, uh, Bob Stoops, I remember, who goes in 2000 to take Oklahoma job, uh, 99, I mean. So, this is a crazy this, – this is a great staff, great players at Florida, and they get dominated by the big red machine. And that's the Nebraska. Get this. They played in three straight national titles. Are you talking about dominating? It's and, a dynasty. And, yes. Um, let me pull them up again here. Sounds like the 90s were their decade. Well, they won, they won in the 80s too. Um, let me pull them up real quick. They won in – Okay, now Nebraska, get this. They claim some you got to understand this, guys, out there listening. <laughs> well, to the younger crowd. Back before, like Alabama claims I think 20 something titles. And historically they'll give them like 18, like legit today. Back in the day, it was voted on not by a playoff system or a BCS system. No, it was it was writing AP, the UPI, United Press International. It would be the Grantland Rice uh, media outlet. You would have different trophies all over the place, so you didn't have an undisputed. Now, if the AP and the UPI and everybody got together and they'd say, yeah, this is undisputed, that happened. But there was disputed national champions. Nebraska has like 11 of them. Like Arkansas's 64 national championship, people don't understand this. Alabama claims it in the record books in AP. But back then, they would give the championship, they would vote on the championship before the bowl season. So at the final regular season game, they would give, okay, who's undefeated? Alabama. Okay, Arkansas's undefeated. Alabama is probably better. We'll vote on Alabama. Then they went and played the bowl game. Alabama lost to Texas, who we'd already beaten. We played Nebraska, who's good, and we beat them. We were the only undefeated, untied team at the end of the year. Well, Alabama was already voted number one. The year after, in 65, they changed that. They started doing it post-bowl. So that's why today you wait till the end of the bowl season and playoffs. Hold on, now. wait. Post-bowl, they would pick the championship team post-bowl? or the Pre-bowl. Okay, pre-bowl. They would look at yeah, the yeah. end of the regular season. Yeah. They'd vote on it. Okay, AP says Alabama's the best team. They went and played their bowl game against Texas and got got beat. You think about it though, hypothetically, if they would have, if if all of history, if every single year, uh, the champion teams to play in the championship were picked after bowl games, how differently everything would look. Well, that's why a lot you're of talking Boise State playing in the national championship. If that's the case, well, yeah, Boise was undefeated. Listen, well, and and I'll just put it like that. That's why a lot of these titles. Like, legit titles, Nebraska has five by the kind of undisputed. But they have 11, I think 11 nationally, by maybe a lesser writing media outlet. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, they had that's why they had to get it all together and come up with a BCS. And everybody was like, come on, guys. We got to get this a system. Yeah. It was only Division One college football that had this mess. My point is, Nebraska has multiple national championships by different services, 
Really, if you wouldn't have pointed these things out, I would have never thought thought anything about Nebraska. They're just they're a laughing stock right now. They're they're not good. They have a team, which by the way, the Scott Frost that team we talked about earlier. He won a national title. He was a quarterback on a national title team. Well, by the way. so he's beloved in Nebraska, but they're he went he's un- used to nothing right now. <laughs> he went undefeated at UCF. He's a part of that team I mentioned earlier that live in La La Land, saying they're the national champions. Goes to Nebraska right afterwards, and he's 15 and 30 at Nebraska right now. Just laughing won't make stop. it. Won't make it. But on that point, though, th- that makes me think, if if we of to date have, have been doing just the outright selections, no playoffs, Alabama would have one less championship, and Georgia would have one more. I, I forget what Absolutely. year it was, but the year – it's after 2016, I think 2017, when Kirby, when Kirby is putting the nation on notice with with what he's building at Georgia at this time. He's still in the building process with what I'm talking about right now. He's not in the building process. They're there. They've arrived. Um, and they're going to stay there, it seems like, for a long time. But in 2017, Georgia is this physical, strong team. Uh, they have Jake from State Farm as their quarterback. Jake from? from Jake from State Farm. <laughs> and in the net in this SEC game, I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that year they play in the SEC championship, Georgia loses. National championship, Georgia's doing their thing again. They're dominating the first half. That's the game where they really put um made Jalen Hurts look like the deer in the headlights. Twenty eighteen. Twenty eighteen. Two of that was one of my top games I was going to mention the 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 Tua to Derrick Henry, two yeah. Heismans. Yeah. Even though they weren't Heismans yet. Right. Uh, overtime dart to yeah. the left pylon. Which Jalen Hurts, yeah, Jalen Hurts was not a Heisman yet. That's right. He was Heisman in Oklahoma State. But you think about that. That year, if we just have the outright best teams, Alabama is not in the No, you're, you're right. I mean. Because they lost to Auburn that year. The system used to be you, you voted at the end of the season – before bowl, because the bowl was just like a, a reward for your team, and it was like, hey, go have a good time. And they, Wait, sorry, they they beat Auburn that year. I'm mistaken. Go ahead, I, I cut yeah. you off. And so no, I, and so it's just, um, but the bowl system, the bowl, the bowl games are a part of the season. We all counted as our, you know, hey, we went, you know, Arkansas had nine wins last year. Well, one of that. One of those games was a bowl game, you know, so you do count that. So it should count toward a national title. You're right. Alabama, think about the years they didn't play in the SEC championship game, but get in the playoff and win it. Right. Yeah. Uh, hey, there was a year where um, I'll take you back. It was 07. Arkansas beat LSU in what, two or three overtimes with DMAC and that whole bunch. And um, LSU had, with less miles, had two losses. After that night, this is the last game of the season. Lo and behold, the way the other games ended that night, LSU gets into the BCS play uh, bowl system and ends up winning the national title. It was less miles. They had two losses that year. Really? Yes. Arkansas, they were number one, beat them in Death Valley. Houston, uh, that's the old saying when you hear D-Mac say, I got that wood. I got that wood right here. <laughs> what he said. I'm I'm totally so going back real quick. I'm totally wrong for any sports fanatics. They're going to know that I'm wrong. Uh, Georgia would not have one extra championship because the year that Alabama lost to Auburn in a way that uh, would have potentially left them out 
was the year that they lost in the championship anyways to um, a person who's now showing to be a, a bad person morally, who, of course, all of these people we're talking about are in need of Christ. <laughs> that is um, Deshaun Watson, who yes. beat Alabama. But not taken away from just his talent. Uh, I'm not going to – if we're speaking uh, objectively about Deshaun Watson's talent, great college football player who beat a really, really good Alabama team who is uh, undefeated up until – or not undefeated, up until the Iron Bowl they were undefeated. Um, let me speak to you about a team who was a shocking team, classic football team. We've okay. talked about them a lot already, and that's, again, going back to the 2008 Florida Gators. We haven't talked about why they're so classic. And this will, you know, if we're thinking theologically, this will catapult us into homardiology, the study of sin, the study of culture and how our culture really just exalts sin. Um, because because people are good at stuff, they, they're given a different standard to the human eye when it comes to morals. And stuff. Oh, the morals and stuff, we'll overlook that. But if you think about the players, if we're, if we're talking about Bobby Petrino, if he's a bad coach, everybody is pointing out how he was a, a bad person. Oh, yeah. But if he's a good coach, and if he gets away with that sin, and nobody, over, and nobody sees it, oh, We'll just kind of, the culture just kind of brushes that aside. And that's what happens a lot with the um, – my wife is texting me. She's saying, are you okay? <laughs> uh, I think what you're saying, too, you, you put up with bad behavior in our society if you win. Right. We can, you can put up with a Johnny Manziel doing no telling what at, you know, parties and yeah. campus and whatever else, but because he's Johnny Football, you, you, you still celebrate him. Same yeah. thing with Petrino. There was fans wanting to do anything they could to keep him, penalize him, you know, do whatever, suspend him, but don't fire him. Right, right. They overlook it. Just do whatever. Yeah. Uh, That's, Unfortunately, in our society, that's the way it is. Yeah, let me give we, me one. Yeah, uh, that's 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 yeah. so true. I so person that I know uh, that's in the school system now, public school system, is that person that knows public school system and I'll, I'll leave in the next few minutes but we'll we'll close kind of on this in the next few minutes um person that I know is in the public school system who teaches there she talks she's a teacher she talks about here recently this these kids who got in some serious trouble needed an ISS but they had a big um who um I forgot what they did, but they were on ISS, and it lined up to where they would have to miss practice and miss the game. Oh, you know what? There's a big game going on. Let's, let's kind of overlook Let's shorten that punishment. You know what that teaches those kids? Because yeah. I'm good at football, I get a, a separate standard from all these other kids, and it really exalts them. Um, yeah. And, and it, it also, what it does, too, it, you know, woe to those who call – Evil, yeah. good, evil, and evil, good. 
That's what those. That's what the school system is doing for these sports players. Um, but Absolutely. going to, to back to college, you have the two thousand and eight. Um, 2008 Gators, which this team overall morally is not um, – I'm not saying that there was just a terrible moral team, but you're talking to Coach Urban Meyer. You see what he did to his wife here recently yes. in Ohio, which would go to show that there's been um, uh, a lot of relationships built up up to that point because he was a coach at Ohio State. Right. Um. And you, he's, def- he's definitely been a disappointment as a character person overall. Yeah. Now they do have t- Tim Tebow, which I would not align with him theologically, but he's a preacher. Yeah. But l- let me give you the rundown of this roster. You have Riley Cooper in the NFL, Tim Tebow. Uh, you know who they have running at tight end? Aaron Hernandez. Aaron Hernandez, yeah. murderer, who end up murdering somebody, committed suicide. Uh, which, that was after the fact. I know he was kind of a troublemaker in college, yeah, but, trouble. but wasn't he? Uh, that happened at New England, though, didn't he? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Was did he murder multiple people? I'm not sure. I know it was one he got convicted for, and then he what committed suicide. Yeah, yeah. Which there two, is. I saw a documentary on him. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, and they probably. Um, I think I think Ur- going to Urban. I think he recruited talent and didn't care about character mm. character always you recruit the old saying is a coach and i used to coach some you re, and I, I coached at the high school not, not at the college level but you do recruit your problems mm. you recruit your problems you recruit your successes and you recruit your problems so every problem you have as a college coach if, if you were responsible for getting that kid there you brought him there you knew a lot of times you know there's some questions that you take a chance because you got to win to stay in your job. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. You recruit your problems. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of that going on. People willing – you talk about – you hear about cancers in the locker room. All we hear it put as is just a cancer. Rarely, rarely do we get the details behind the cancer, which is usually – A lot of times playing time. Playing time. A lot of times it is those people who are greedy, but a lot of times those people who are just all out menaces to society who are making the <laughs> the whole locker room bad. But Joe Hayden on this team, you got Joe Hayden, you have Brandon Spikes, you have Janoris Jenkins, man, so much NFL talent. Percy Harvin, who suffered a lot from concussions. I hope he's doing well now. CT is no 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 thing to to mess around with. But no, we're speaking of which, Aaron Hernandez. Claiming he had issues with CTE that caused him to do that could have could have been it could have contributed it to that for sure. Uh, so that's that's the one thing to overlook, and it, which is what what uh one thing not to overlook with these football teams is that uh, what what. First off, what football does to the body is hard on the body. You don't realize it. It takes, and I, like I say, I played uh, through a high school career, and for a lot of guys, it's you pay for it in your forties and fifties. It's when you start first start feeling it, really, with some major injuries, and then 
if it's not concussion related, you know, if it's just knees and backs, that's when it really starts kicking in. Sore every morning. You get up, you're in pain. Shoulder surgeries, you know, front moves in. You feel the kind of the arthritis, you know, feel. Um, but, yeah, it's that long toll of we're not going to really know until long term what the concussion stuff has done. Yeah. I do think before we leave today, I I would be remiss if I did not mention one team. It would be disgraceful not to mention the USC Leinert Reggie Bush teams of 03, 04, 05. Three national title games. They won two. And that one game against Texas was the 05 uh, season um, where they were the heavily favorite to win three national titles in a row, which was unheard of. But you had Leinert at quarterback, Reggie Bush, who was a phenom- phenomenal player in college. I had his Heisman stripped from him because of payment. Because he was doing what everybody does now. Give yeah. it back to him. Yeah. Give it back. Hugh Freeze was sponsoring the whole thing behind the system. No, he, he uh, again, you had Kiffin. Was he offensive coordinator then for Pete Carroll? Yeah. Young um, Kiffin. Young Kiffin. This Late was 20s. right before he went to the Oakland Raiders. Late 20s, like 29 at that point. 20, um, 29. Phenomenal team. Um, probably in your memory deck. That Texas game, and and I know Aaron, uh, my oldest, says uh, he was a big USC fan back then because they were the winning teams. You know that's what kids do. It's like the Golden and they were State like, Warriors oh my gosh, football, and such a great tradition. And again, you get the coaching hire right, which watch what happens with uh, you know the Oklahoma uh, Riley going out there. He'll get it right, recruiting, 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 and with them coming to the Big Ten, look for USC to be a, a player in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that's so much to talk about here. Uh, I appreciate the time that oh, yeah, you've given you. this morning. Um, cutting it off because I need to take my family to Doc's. We're going to go to Doc's Coffee and Creamery. Okay. Have you ever heard of that? Mm-mm, where is it? Pickles Gap. Pickles Gap Village. Okay. We've never been there. Um, to close it out, to, to cut it back with stuff, at the end of the day, which we, on the one hand, we don't do away with something we think that can be inherently good, which is what we talked about earlier this morning, because of the sin that taints it. But on the other hand, we don't ignore the sin that is in there. So many of these college football teams, they're gonna, they have to ask themselves, when the lights turn off, who, where do you stand? Because these men, it's overlooked, battle with depression. Why do they battle with depression? Because they st- they put all of their stock in their life in a football game, and and the, truthfully too, their their worth was found in the praise of men. They found their worth being little gods. True. In the eyes of men. Um, so true. As we know, this is preaching to the choir. We Christians don't make gods out of these people. We appreciate the skill that they do, and we look at them. We recognize that they're created by God, and they worked. In their sport, the way God commanded us all to work and everything, to be little atoms. But instead of being little atoms in the garden, working, taking domain as men should, they wanted to become little gods. Well, the lights are going to turn off, buddy. That's right. The, the fans are going to turn against you once you become old and your knees are blown out and you fumble <laughs> the ball and they pick up the ball and they score it. Um, right. Which is why I'm so thankful for men like Tim Tebow. Amen. Preacher. Bold, bold in college. You you hear 
women breaking up with him because he wouldn't have sex with them. Standing for not only just morals, but for the commandments of God and the glory, glorifying God and things like that. So at the end of the day, we understand, we appreciate what these men do on the field, but we do not overlook their sin and we call them to repentance if we can. Uh, we don't glory in them. We, and we point out to them what we're saying now, that the lights will turn off, that the fans will turn against you, that you will have to retire. And it's not father time that's turning against you. It's how God created you. And, and because of what you did, uh, just uh, and part of it, the accident of the sport is that your body's going to wear out on you. And all is vanity. And I, I go back to that psalm, um, the psalm where... You, you, everything under the sun. Everything under the sun. And all that, and the, it's early in the morning, so my mind is slipping me. But in Hebrew it said, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be worn out. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. Who is he talking about? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So often we see, even of good players, their bodies wearing out. Even at their best, their, their best, That's right. their strongest is at the weakest of the Lord, first off. But secondly, the glory of God, given the glory of Christ, given him by the Father that remains forever. Whereas this vain, rubbish glory that football players get from the stands so infinitely smaller than the glory that the Father gives to the Son, and that glory only lasts for a blink of the eye. Think about the power. We think about the great athletes, but the power to create that great athlete. Man. The power to, you know, create everything. I mean, what kind of power is that? It's a power we don't understand. Yes, but you, O oh Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. While we sit back and remember these teams and stuff, 100 years from now, there's not going to be any more Kevin Griffins explaining <laughs> to us the Nebraska Cornhuskers. It's going to be forgotten. Well, and, and I think about the, you know, who's won more national titles than anyone? Princeton. Do you even care? No, because they were, that was eons ago. Closing it out. Remembrance of the glory of our Christ. Who, to be clear, I'm not relating the glory of a football player to the glory of Christ. Not even close. No. Says this in Psalm 102:25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. It's amazing. Lord of Christ. Praise the Lord. Closing it out with this, what score do you give Arkansas Cincinnati? I think I, I have a little group of guys that we – Razorback fans. I think I put 28-24, and I'm giving it to the Hogs. It's going to be a tough game. They're ranked. Uh, they're a playoff team. They've lost some guys. Arkansas has their, their line back. They have their quarterback back, their coordinator back. They have a lot of pieces back. I think the home crowd's going to give Arkansas a slight a favor, but it would not surprise me if they lose. This is a tough team, and they have a winning. We didn't, as we close, the mindset of a winner is hard to defeat. Mm. I don't care who you have. When you have won and tasted the prime steak, you don't want hot dog anymore. And that's that's what Cincinnati has tasted. But they also tasted a little Alabama last year, and that's what Arkansas is going to 
ring down on them today. That's, That's the, the blueprint. blueprint to beat them. Run right at them. Make them stop you. And against a team like Cincinnati, Arkansas has the the um, package to be able to do what Alabama did to them. I say 31-17 Hogs. Fayetteville is a tough place to play. It is. It should. They should win it. How about Ole Miss? What do you got with Troy today? Oof. Destroy 50, Troy. 56-10 Ole Miss. Let me ask you this. Arkansas Ole Miss at Fayetteville. What are you predicting? If I'm in town, speaking of which, we haven't need to have another podcast on that. Okay. That's 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 maybe where we can talk specifically Ole Miss and Arkansas. At Fayetteville, Ole Miss versus Arkansas. Okay to pick Ole Miss. 49-41 Ole Miss. Okay. No, 49-42 Ole Miss. Down to the wire. Down to the wire, just like last year. CD, <laughs> brother KG, coming yes. at you almost live and direct from the classic ass. Prime time. Where we just rolling.